right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the No Laying Up podcast. My name is Randy. I am so excited to be here today. We uh, we are doing our 2023 LPGA season preview podcast, and I have some great guests with me. Let me introduce them right now uh, from left to right on my screen. First, Mr. Cody McBride from somewhere in the uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area. Good morning, Cody. How are you today, sir? Good morning, Mr. Big. Happy to be with you, of course. Beautiful morning here in the Metroplex area. Uh, And excited to talk about women's golf. Amen. Amen. Our next guest, she is Jen Corcoran. You can find her. She is part of the Gruder Golf Gang, grudergolf.com. Jen, good morning. Anything else you want me to plug? How's how's Gruder going? You know, we're in a little bit of a transitional period right now. So big announcement here. A lot of people have been asking, no more events for this year. Those who've been following closely, Haley and I are both getting married this year. I mean, a, a topic for another day, but a lot of the planning ends up following falling to the the women in the in the uh, hetero relationship. So, no events, but a lot of a lot of content to come. <laughs> well, congratulations! So glad you could join us this morning. And then, last but not least, uh, from Jacksonville, Florida, Mr. Tron Carter, TC. Good day to you, sir. Good day. Uh, possibly. No events this year because uh, Jen is dressing up like uh, Elizabeth Holmes as well. And we'll, we'll get a picture out of this. I could be going to a federal oh. prison any day now for all we know. Seriously. Got the black turtleneck and, and you know, really, really <laughs> capturing the ethos of I'm taking of it seriously, Holmes. you know? I wanted you guys to know Look that. It's a sign of respect. Look sharp. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, wonderful. I mentioned this is going to be our all-encompassing 2023 preview on the LPGA Tour. We'll hit on some other women's golf topics. Before we dive in, though, I want to thank specifically Titleist and FootJoy, new partners for us, and we couldn't be more excited. Uh, besides being the number one ball on the LPGA, Titleist, that is, They are just very pumped to support what we're doing uh, with these LPGA podcasts. We have live shows coming this year. So truly, truly thankful to be working with an awesome partner like Titleist and FootJoy. And um, yeah, this, this episode is brought to you by those fine folks. With that said, the LPGA season kicks off this week, Thursday through Sunday. It's the Tournament of Champions from Lake Nona. Danielle Kang is the defending champion. It's a celebrity pro-am. So guys, folks, ladies, be prepared to get frustrated with coverage. Uh, this is <laughs> this is a whole deal. It really pissed me off a couple years ago. But I just have to accept it. it it's, it's NBC coverage on Sunday from 2 to 5 Eastern, uh, Golf Channel Thursday through Saturday. You're going to see a lot of celebrities hitting golf shots. And you're going to wonder, isn't this an LPGA tournament? It is. It is. Just you got to get through this one. There will be frustration, and I promise it'll get better throughout the year. Are they doing it to where they, they like, batch the, the groups on Sunday? According to like, will it be LPGA players in the final group or will it be like Marty Fish? And <laughs> that was tough. 
I yeah. champion in his own right, by the way. Yeah. I know. TC, that's a great question. I, I truly forget where, where we've settled with this. I don't know if it's like the final group of LPGA players are the absolute final group, and then the, the penultimate group, I think, is like the, the three best celebrities, I think, is the way they've been doing it. Okay. So they, they bounce back and forth there. There's going to be music. There's been music like on the, the 17th, 18th tee. It's, it's just it, – it's a fine event. Shout out to our guy Flask. This was yeah, this a big was, Flask. This was yeah. his event. But it's just I, – I think it's really different than what you're going to – you know, if you're tuning in for the first time, it's a lot different than what you're going to see the rest of the year. So just, just to forewarn, folks. With that said, Cody – uh, I, I'd love to throw it over to you to kind of talk about what we know laying up, what, what our plan, even, even kind of our mission this year is with regard to LPGA coverage. Well, I think, Big, to, f- to start it all off, you've been, you and TC have basically spearheaded our LPGA coverage for a long, long, long time. And the home of that primarily was on the trap draw with special events, interviews, things like that being mentioned on the main No Laying Up podcast. We are changing that. And I think based off of your leadership spearheading this initiative across the company, we are elevating it. We are being the change that we preach. Uh, and, and we hope that others follow suit. So we are going to have um, multiple, not only LPGA-focused podcasts throughout the year, we're also going to have LPGA live shows. Now, those live shows are not going to be as robust as the men's currently are, but we are going to do a live show from every LPGA major this year on Friday evening following the second round of coverage, as well as the Sunday No Laying Up Recap podcast will also be a live show, just like we're doing over on the uh, for dedicated or elevated events. I'm still confused with the terminology that we're, we're going with there, but you will have more LPGA coverage on the No Laying Up podcast. And I think it's it's one of those things that we talk about a lot. We always say, how do we do this? But it's finally us putting our foot, foot out there and saying, hey, let's see how we can get this to grow. We, I think we're, between the three of us, we're obsessed with the LPGA game. We find it more relatable. We find it the storytelling more exciting. And, and we just get this feeling of it versus the PGA Tour where Everything is about carry distance and, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars and everything else like that. That's just not the way the LPGA Tour is. So I'm excited this year to bring more one-on-one podcasts, more guest speakers onto the main No Laying Up podcast, and definitely more live show action. Anything that I missed there, guys. We're not taking anything off the table either. Like you're hundred percent. You like your NLU podcast? You can keep your NLU podcast. You're just gonna get a bonus episode Thursdays with regularity there. So it's bonus content. And yeah, I think it's it's treating it like we treat golf. It's not like, hey, we're doing women's golf. We're just doing more golf content here. I'm excited for it. I think, you know, freeing up, you know, the the, the trap draw should be a distinctly non-golf zone. And so, so getting this in the right place on the No Laying Up podcast, I think, is, is, is a huge win for uh, really everybody, just from a clarity perspective. And the only thing I would add, uh, very well said, both of you, is I, I think we acknowledge that, you know, uh, there, there could be a large part of our audience that just doesn't know a lot about the women's game. And that's totally okay. We are approaching at least this preview, and I think we'll approach a lot of our podcasts and live shows with 
with kind of a dual charge to inform and educate and bring folks up to speed so that they can tune in and, and get an idea of players and storylines and and what it, whatever it may be. We, we want to talk about women's golf like we talk about men's golf, which, you know, Tron, going back since I've known you, you know, however many years ago, has always been... I, you know, some parts smart, but some parts stupid and we make up bits and we, you know, we get after some players and we like some players for certain reasons. I, I think my dream is to, we shouldn't talk about women's golf with, you know, with, with these kid gloves, right? I, I think I, I love the game and I want to talk about it just like I would men's golf. So, uh, you know, if you're a fan of, let's say, Brooke Henderson and, and I kind of come after her or, or Canada gets, you know, gets all riled up, that's that's fun, right? Um, so I, I think for listeners, hopefully, if you're not that well-versed in the women's game uh, through these podcasts, through the live shows, through the, you know, more consistent, continual coverage, you become a fan and, and you start to have favorite players and you start to look forward to big events. Uh, that's the dream. And, and ultimately get out to an event. I think that's where the, the women's game really solidifies itself is that in-person experience. So I think with that said, I am curious what all of your guys' kind of uh, history is with the women's game. How long have you been following it? Because it's, it's okay if it's relatively new. Uh, what are who are some of your favorite players? Some of your favorite memories, Jen? Can I can I ask you to kind of kick it off? What what's your experience with the women's game? I would absolutely love to kick it off because guys, this is music to my ears, and I feel like this is such an underserved space in the golf world. Um, to give people a little bit of a background, so I only started playing golf in 2016, which now is kind of a long time ago, you know, which is exciting. But still feels very new all the time. So Gruder Golf was like an events company. And then in the pandemic, we were kind of like, what do we do? You know, turned our attention a little bit towards the LPGA. But there's always such like a dearth of information about kind of the color commentary and everything. You know, like it's tough to get. You have to really dig to find out what events are happening, like what the deal is with them and kind of the things that make the sport interesting. Right. It's like the stories and the people and all of that. And they're just like. You know, having been in some tournaments at this point, there isn't as many, you know, there aren't as many journalists. There's not, you know, the media isn't really there as much as the men's game. Um, so, sorry, Leonard is really bawling his eyes out right now um, for no reason. <laughs> so, I have a pug also. So, sorry if he's crying in the Le- background. <laughs> Leonard is a puppy, by the way. Le- it's not her, her child yeah, oh, yeah, or yeah, anything yeah, else like that that's just crying. Yeah, my baby's corner. just crying in the puppy. corner right now. Yeah, he's um, he's a very high-maintenance pug. Um, he just cries for no reason sometimes. Randy is appalled right now. He's appalled. <laughs> Leonard's, Leonard's probably wearing designer clothing. <laughs> He he's sometimes just dined does. at the finest dog restaurant. Oh yeah, we boil chicken for him sometimes. He is he's a spoiled brat. In a lot of ways, sometimes he gets more attention than maybe the LPGA does to bring it back. <laughs> Thank you, Jen. <laughs> Please continue. Anyway, so yeah, having so now at this point we started, you know, not only tuning into the events, but you know, we started our podcast, Low Expectations, where we focus pretty much exclusively on the women's game. Like I've gotten to the point that I really don't pay very much attention to the men's golf anymore um, because we're all in on the LPGA and also meeting some of the players and the accessibility to the players has been unreal. You know what I mean? Like we've had like Danielle Kang on the podcast, Marina Alex, you know, a lot of the Solheim players, Leona McGuire, one of my favorites. And I just, you know, it's really easy once you're watching. It's I think it's really easy to get really obsessed with 
with what they're doing, you know, and they're so talented and it's, it's really fun and cool. So hoping to get to more tournaments this year. Last year, I'm also really excited for another Solheim. I think that was the last time I was on the pod was in advance yeah. of the Solheim 2021 which was our first tournament ever that we went to. Went to a bunch last year. You can also watch a lot of the golf. I could go on and on, but obsessed with the LPGA. Very happy to be here and very happy to see that it's, uh, you know, getting more attention from, you know, esteemed journalists like yourselves. Big Jed. God, that gets me fired up. Big. <laughs> you know, I I remember seeing highlights of Sayri Pak winning. I remember uh, the early 2000s and Annika just winning everything and making a, a tr- tremendous strides forward for, for not only like equality, but, but putting women's golf like on the forefront of people's minds. But really, I was a massive, massive Lorena Ochoa fan. Me too. I think like her, not only her, her upbringing, but like her ties to Arizona, what she did in college, and then having a tremendous like professional career. And then ultimately like that was the first time that I really realized like, wow, like somebody who's at the top of her game can just hang it up and, and go and go live the life that they want to do. And for most women athletes, like at some point in time, there becomes a, a time when they're like, I want to go have a family. Or if they don't, they don't and they continue to play. But I think she was the first one that really made that stick out to me. Been a phenomenal fan of her ever since. And I think it's just kind of picked up steam from there. I was a, a big Paula Creamer fan. I'm excited for the Pink the Pink Panther to come back, hopefully. Um, you know, and, and we just kind of have been dipping our toes in the water ever since. And obviously, since I come on NLU full-time, it's been a lot more. I've been able to attend LPGA events. I was at the U.S. Women's Open this last year at Pine Needles and kind of been more and more introduced not only I wouldn't say to the game but like the characters within the game and I think it's such a rich like pool of personalities there that it just makes more creative and like hilarious storytelling because they seem to be completely wide open and like at this I, I always go back to relatability and it's not just about like how they play the game or anything else like that because they're like by far probably the best long iron and long wood players. Like I could stack them up against like the majority of men that play golf, but just phenomenal human beings. And I'm excited to dig in more to that. I agree. It feels more like a traveling circus than the PGA tour does these days. Like they travel together, the the trainers, the caddies, the, you know, all the media officials, it, it feels much more like a, like one big family out there for, you know, any LPGA event you go to. I think if you have young kids, and the LPGA comes to your city, go. Like it is, it is far, far more approachable. And you just, you get to see more golf. You get to be more up close. Ladies are so gracious and, and, you know, glad you're there. Um, and yeah, I mean, Jen, to your point about the, the uh, Solheim Cup, a couple of years ago, I went to the Solheim Cup and the Ryder Cup. And it was like the Solheim Cup was by far like more, more entertaining. I think the quality of the golf, the the competition was obviously better uh, at uh, Inverness than it was at, at Whistling Straits. I'm hoping it's going to be the same thing this year. I'm going to the Solheim. Like I chose to go to the Solheim Cup instead of the Ryder Cup this year <laughs> Hell in yeah. Spain. So um, yeah, it's just you know it's one of those things where like I, I remember the first time I played played at LPGA Pro Am. We played with Jane Park uh, out at the Kia Classic at Aviara, and it was Poosh. 
and Sally and DJ and I, and it was just such a, it was just such an eye-opening experience and like the pro-am party the night before. Um, and I've played in a bunch of PGA Tour pro-ams and they're great as well, but there was something a little bit different about, about the LPGA Tour. And I think the other thing that like we want to get through is if you're not into the LPGA, that's fine too. Like you're like, we're not like preaching to you or we're not like trying, you know, like, yes, we are trying to convert you a little bit, but like, you know, like there's no, there's no ill will or there's no, there's no negativity towards you. If you're not into women's golf, that's fine too. It's just, I'm basically my, my love for it and my enthusiasm for it is because of my personal experiences, not because of some, you know, quote unquote woke agenda or something like that. Like I just, I just enjoy going out to these tournaments, getting to know these players. Like you said, Cody, there's so much, there's so much more unguarded and, and just, you know, really, really genuine. I think that's so well said, Tron. I, you know, I, I, I feel like the LPGA Tour has a that feel of what I like to think the PGA Tour had in the, you know, before our time, right, in the 60s and 70s and 80s, where, uh, as you said, it was, it's kind of this traveling circus, and the caddies all know each other and hang out, and the trainers, the support staff, the players, it's, it, it has that feeling of, you know, one big family, and there are going to be disagreements in that family. There's going to be, you know, tons of friendships. They're, they're just, you know, that you, you have these relationships and, you know, everybody's just kind of looking out for each other as they go city to city across the globe. Um, I, I think that's so well put. My experience with the women's game is is a lot like, like you guys. You know, I can remember growing up, I would catch the odd final round of, of a major on television and... You know, I can remember like Karen Stupples, right? I can remember her win at the British Open. I can remember Mo Martin, the the American, winning the British Open. Um, I don't know why the British Open stands out to me, but it was the Weedabix British Open, too, yeah. right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think since we've gotten into no laying up, and this has become a, a full time gig for me. I mean, really, over the last five years or so. Having those experiences, getting to go to events. I think I've been to now four of the five women's majors at, at some point, plus the Solheim Cup Tron, as as you said, in Toledo. And yeah, I just I, I echo all of that. It's it's just so much fun to be there, to watch the golf. You can feel like you're up close. You don't feel like you're necessarily on eggshells, which is a feeling I sometimes get attending PGA tour events. And and the players just they they wanna share themselves they want to share their story everybody by and large is looking to lift up the game uh, and and make it better and that that permeates the experience and so super pumped to to be shining more of a light um as as you said too tron like if <laughs> if if women's golf isn't your thing that's totally cool but i think all four of us and you know certainly others it's genuinely an an awesome outlet for for more golf and and high quality golf and and interesting personalities and so hopefully we can educate entertain and and bring some people uh, to become fans of of the women's game so with this preview uh, I, I want to lay it out for folks we kind of touching on the educating and entertaining and and informing kind of run a show if you will. I want to talk through some of the players. I want to highlight the current top 10. I want to speak to kind of the global nature of the game. And then, Cody, I'm going to turn it over to you to kind of talk about this this system of the LPGA Tour, for lack of a better word, 
you know, what are they playing for? How do they earn a card? How do they keep a card? All of that fun stuff we'll, we'll hit on in, in part two. And then part three, Jen, I want you to walk us through the 2023 schedule. Let's, you know, let's react to some of our favorite venues and events, some of our least favorite venues and events. That'll be fun. And then TC, kind of the strengths and weaknesses, relatively speaking, of the women's game. I think we can compare it to the PGA Tour in a sense um, in that section. And then we'll end with some predictions. How does that sound, everybody? I'm so excited. All right. <laughs> Wonderful. Jen, good. I, I was, you know, I'd be concerned if you said anything different. <laughs> well, let's start with the players then. I, I'm going to kind of lead this and, and you guys react. So our current Rolex top 10. And uh, as on the men's side, it's the OWGR. The women have the Rolex rankings. Uh, you can easily find that online. Top of the list, number one in the world right now is Lydia Ko of New Zealand. I think the, the main things to note here, she just got married this offseason. So, um, you know. Still honeymooning as we speak. Yes, right. In fact, it's not going to be playing at Lake Nona because of the honeymoon. <laughs> Uh, she, she is a wonder kid. She burst onto the scene several years ago and just absolutely took the LPGA game by storm. She's knocking on the door of the hall of fame. We'll, we'll get to the hall of fame discussion. I think, uh, a little, <laughs> how later. old is she now? And I believe she's 27. I think she's 25 actually. Right. How is that possible? I think actually 26. I'll split it in the middle for you guys, but she could possibly be the oldest 26 year old in my mind that I know though. Yeah. And I think that just like, again, goes back to how long she's been around, not only in the professional game, but golf in general. Like this, uh, such a long, successful career that like when you think about her potentially retiring once she gets her, her Hall of Fame points, which we'll get to later, it just it blows my mind. Like, how can that be possible? Because everywhere you go, it, it's always Lydia Ko. And uh, it's like... How much more does she have? How much more does she want to have? I'm very interested to see what her new uh, life is going to be like w being married now and how her schedule might potentially change. But what a phenomenal 2022 season. Clearly capped off by the end, not only winning player of the year, but it, it seemed like she really, really found her game after a, a couple Poor performance years, I'll, I'll say, but uh, all the hard work and everything that she put into it, she credits a lot of it to going to Sean Foley, but now she's no longer with Sean Foley. I'm very interested to see what happens to her this year with a lot of changes coming down, and that's kind of going to be what we see from a, a lot of these girls that are in the top 10 right now, just a, a lot of changes to start the year. Very Spethian. I, I, Tron, I always think the same thing. Burst onto the scene early great success you know Lydia I, I think the thing that's interesting about Lydia is through all of her success she has two majors which of course two is nothing to sneeze at but with a, a player of her stature and talent it's a little light right now I, I think I think she's absolutely looking for at least a third major to to really cement that legacy because I think what's most interesting is her her majors her, she won the first one in 2015 as like a, a 17 year old I, I believe and then won the next year in 2016 at the ANA and so we're we're going on you know six into a seventh season without a major victory Cody you said she had a 
fantastic year last year, which she did. She's winning again on the LPGA Tour. The next step will be, I think, starting to nab another major here or there. And she loves firing caddies, which I always find fascinating. <laughs> Number two in the world, uh, the from America, kind of if, if there is a, an American superstar – and it's hard to tell if it's in waiting or if we're already reached the point is Nellie Corda. Um, she's been a top five player since late in 2019. The big news coming out of her camp, Cody, you said a lot of change going on. She has switched from Titleist to TaylorMade this year. And so I think that's certainly something worth keeping an eye on. And Nike on the apparel side, too. I think that's going to be so awesome for her, like, star power. Because as from the layman's perspective, like, we still consider ourselves, we know, like, a tiny bit about golf at this point, but are mostly into, you know, when you were saying celebrities are going to be there this weekend, to me, there are very few celebrities in that field of champions this weekend at Lake Nona. It's a lot of just, like, retired athletes from, like, the early aughts and 90s, right? Like, that's kind of who it is for the most part. So I think that her being with Nike gives her a little bit of a cool factor that I think was a little bit missing with the Jay Lindenberg, even though the Jay Lindenberg shoots were so high fashion and cool, but they just didn't have the reach I think that she is capable of. So now also having the kind of like the Tiger Woods duo of TaylorMade plus Nike, I think is going to be just really cool for her stature with lay people, which is important. I think it is. Important. I feel like Elizabeth yeah. Holmes would have would have loved. <laughs> Elizabeth Holmes, I've heard, is in talks with Nike as well. <laughs> uh, what I will say is that not to fill a gap, but I think when I think of the LPGA and when I think of Nike as a clothing sponsor, I think it's one of those things where you don't really fully understand uh, maybe the gap or, or vacuum void, however you want to describe it, that Michelle Wee's retirement kind of created. Exactly. And I think that created the opportunity for a Nelly or somebody else. It's obviously Nelly to move into that picture and, and be that premier Nike athlete on the, the women's side, which I think is really cool to see. I think when I think of Nelly, I think of that. She's extremely athletic. She's like puts a time and effort in not only to her game, but into fitness and everything else like that. I am concerned on the TaylorMade side and that, that, that has nothing to do with any club allegiances at all. But like changing the ball is a huge deal uh, specifically when it comes to, I mean, Roy talks about this all the time, how he played, you know, he's been a TaylorMade athlete for a long, long time. And he, he just figured out which ball after they came out with their new ones last year. And I hope it's something that, that she gets a hold of right away. She has a very, strong team. I'm happy to say that we share the same physio. So, you know, nothing but good things coming from her, but a lot of changes again to keep your eye out on. Nelly, my, my PGA tour comp, or I guess former PGA tour comp, Dustin Johnson. Like that's the, <laughs> that's the upside, right? Yeah. And, and I think Cody, to your point about being like a Nike athlete, it's also a big weight to bear. And I think Yep. That will be interesting. She's going to have a lot of pressure on her to kind of be the face of American women's golf. And fair or not, the, the game is better and reaches many more eyeballs when they have an athlete like that that can, that the Jen, like you said, that, that the layperson recognizes and connects to. And 
I think Lexi was a hope for a lot of people to, to kind of carry that torch from, from Michelle Wee West for a lot of reasons, which I'm sure we'll get into some. It, it just, I don't think, has come to fruition. And so we now turn to Nelly and uh, we'll, we'll, see how, we'll see how this goes. Um, but I, I think it, it does bear mentioning that there's going to be a ton of pressure on her this year. Um, number three in the world has just had an unbelievable last couple of years. Australia's Minji Lee. She looking at her results last year, definitely lost a bit of steam in the later part of 2022. I have not seen or read any reporting. I wonder if it's just, you know, a little worn out, uh, from, from such a long stretch of high level golf. Uh, but I did see she notched a top five back in Australia in December. So hopefully a sign of, of things to come for 2023 for, for Minji Lee. Tron, any comps for Minji? Who, who, would, who would you say PGA Tour-wise, who does she kind of uh, compare to? I mean, she struggles with the putter a little bit. So there's, I think there's like a Hideki comp there where she's like an elite ball striker. But swing-wise, like I think I'm very – she has my favorite golf swing in the world man like man man or woman like i would say it's like like the comp for me is like rory almost <laughs> like it's it's just fearless it's it's uh it's aggressive it's it's just and it's like aesthetically pleasing number four in the world this is where this could be the the next woman we're talking about i think for years to come uh, thailand's ataya titicum she's 19 years old she broke into the top five in the world rankings in early 2022. She's won twice now on the LPGA Tour, has not won a major yet. But just from everybody you talk to, from watching her play, I mean, all the game in the world. Uh, Cody, Jen, any, any thoughts on Ataya Titicum? I mean, plenty of thoughts. I just love, I think that her, like, her prevalence has really spoken to the fact like that the uh, the LPGA tour is so so global, right? And you kind of get like a glimpse into all these different cultures and how Thailand is like a really emerging market for like golf and women's golf especially. And it's one of the countries where you know the female golf celebrities kind of get their due, um, which is really cool to see. You know, just as a fan of of women's golf, and she's just really exciting. You know, I think that when you get a young buck out there who's like doing really well, it's just really fun to watch. So she's always someone um, as I get into gambling that I that I throw in the mix. <laughs> Good bet. Yeah, I agree on the global side of it. I think, you know, obviously last year being her rookie year on the LPGA Tour and winning Rookie of the Year honors and basically just a phenomenal start. What I am overall concerned with is that that was really her first big year where she wasn't primarily focused on, you know, playing tours that are more close to home. And I wonder how she transitions into, like, you know, where's she going to live at? Where's she practicing at? Like, what is her actual, uh, her base of operations going to look like as she continues to ramp up, you know, what is going to be a predominantly U.S.-centric tour for the most part? There's still swings that there, there's a ton of travels. The LPGA is the most global professional golf organization that there is out there. But I think we're going to see that pretty early on where maybe she's she's more select on the events that she wants to play in versus what she has to play in. Because last year, I think that's where she was picking up. I mean, that's where her victory came from. It was kind of these swing elbow events or shoulders that that others weren't quite playing at. So I'm, I'm excited to see her continued evolution into the LPGA Tour. 
Yeah, some of the travel stuff blows me away. Like how much, you know, the men, you know, like a lot of these ladies, most of them aren't flying private. They're going to Singapore and Thailand and China and Arizona back to back to back, you know. Yep. And it's at different times in the season too. Like it's 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 much less of a clean schedule. Now, granted, they do get some some stretches where they're in the Midwest for three or four weeks straight or they're they're up in the Northeast. But um, I would say with, with Ataya, I would say probably like Tom Kim one year, like kind of one year onward. I love that. Yes. Yeah, I was struggling to think of a comp, but I, I love that. It just, you know, appears like, hey, we this, this could be somebody that we're, we're all talking about a lot over over the coming years. Great call there. Literally the world laid out in, in front of both of them. Uh, Tom Kim and uh, I like it, it's it's phenomenal where their games are at. They seem to be players that show up in the big moments, uh, and you have like really big hopes for you know not only majors but like the rest of their careers. What I will say is that this is an awful lot for a 19 year old, and I think that's one of those things of like you know it goes back to like how she's managing all this stuff is because it's a ton of pressure, not only like. Being out in your little, like, you know, it's a very tight-knit, like, group of people on the LPGA Tour. But trying to figure out overall how she manages all of this. And, like, 19-year-old Cody, who could have never handled that. (laughs) Fifth in the world, and it it seems like uh, such a surprise, is Korea's Jin Young-ko. She is, I mean, she had looked like, the closest we have to a golfing machine the last couple of years. She has not been outside of the first or second spot in the world rankings since like mid 2019. She, she dropped down to fifth late in 2022. She just like a complete predator. Yes. I mean, yeah. Just so good in every aspect of the game. You know, she, she broke it a, long-standing LPGA record with 14 consecutive rounds in the 60s back in 2021. I think she had a streak. I, I don't have it up in front of me, but I think she hit like 64 straight greens in regulation at one point um, in, in the last couple of years. And everybody was expecting a huge 2022 from her, and we didn't get it. And it, it was those first, like, cracks in her armor. I know she's been dealing with some nagging injuries. It's a wrist, right? Yeah. Wrist injury? Exactly. And so it just goes to show you the, the fragility of, of, like, world-class golf, um, especially with, with the injury risk. But, uh, yeah, just, like, the most complete player when she's on, does everything well. Uh, what Cody, Jen, TC, what what do you guys have to add around Jin Young? Yeah, ha- having having said all that, I think it's just based off of everybody's expectations for her because she still did have a win last year. <laughs> Obviously, so, when the injury came in, like she had a really bad summer and fall, uh, and you you saw somebody who was like putting up routine five, six, seven under rounds, like struggling to to shoot even par on pretty easy golf courses. I mean, T, we saw her in Korea and talked to her for a little bit, and it seemed like everything was fine. And, like, if you would have asked me then after talking to her and watching her, like, play the pro-am and everything else like that, that she would open with rounds of 80 and 79, I would have been like, that's not possible. Like, she seems to be flushing it, but something's still there. And I don't know if it's the injury that's 
is still nagging her or whatnot, but I hope she figures it out because having her back, like, in the top three of the Rolex rankings is really, like, what the what we need in the women's game. Because she's not only a great player, like, she handles her business off the course as well. Yes. She's just so polished. Uh, I would say my comp for her, like just in the, kind of the arc of her career here, would be, like, a, a more a much more likable Brooks Kepka. Or like everybody, like he's winning majors and doing, and just, you know, looks like, like he's hitting every green and looks like he's just unstoppable. Like he's never going to miss another shot. And then all of a sudden he gets hurt and kind of fades from view a little bit. And I think, I think that's probably one of the most fascinating storylines of the whole year this year is if she can climb back into contention. Complete conjecture, but I feel like she's like such a, such a predator, um, as John put it, that I feel like. It's like partially physical, but also partially mental because of the physical, you know, like I don't think that she knows how to struggle like that physically when she's that good. Right. So I think that part of it is kind of just being so insecure with being injured. Right. And maybe maybe continuing to go at it when maybe some rest would be beneficial. Again, I'm not a medical professional, but that could be. (laughs) I don't know. I I don't know, Miss Holmes. (laughs) You've purported to be. Uh, I, I think the only thing I would add with, with Jin Young Ko is kind of like Lydia. You know, she won, Jin Young won two majors in 2019, and I think everybody expected her just to keep winning majors. Uh, now, 2020 was a COVID year, and she only competed, I think, in one major that season, but won five times in 2021, but did not win any majors. And then, obviously, Cody, like you said, won last year once, but but no majors, so I think TC, in conjunction with a return to form for her, I think okay, let's let's see it at the at the major level as well. Yeah. I, I think you know her only, and I say only, and you know in kind of air quotes, having two majors is a bit of a surprise right now. If I'm being honest, yeah, I mean, I, I think a little bit of like JT there too, right? I, yeah, like there there are whiffs of JT for sure. Yeah, where it's like, man, he is so good when he's right. But I can't believe he's only won, you know, a couple majors, which sounds weird because a couple majors is like a hell of a career for ninety nine point nine percent of golfers. But yeah, I'll never forget last year at the U.S. Women's Open though at Pine Needles, like she had a, a backdoor top ten. Like she, she on Sunday when everything was turned up and like people were struggling to shoot around even par, she just like blitzed the field and came out. I think she like shot five or six under that day, and I was like, oh, like the rest of the year like it's on and you saw these signs of it and then it just never never came through which i think there's there's a, there's something to be said for like quality of of setups out there right like like randy we've talked about this a little bit with beth ann as far as just i think i think sometimes the like the cream of the crop is impeded from rising to the top in certain spots just because like i don't think they set some of these courses up hard enough I agree with you. I, I, it, it's weird because sometimes week to week on the LPGA, they'll encounter like pretty difficult setups, and you're like, "Wow, yeah. why, why?" I like, I, I don't, I'm not complaining, but why did they make this so difficult? <laughs> this is just, you know, kind of any other week, and then you get to a U.S. Open, and it's not quite as firm and fast and and penalizing as I think we would want. So I, I think that's definitely a good point. In, in, like, the KPMG last year, like, it just consistency day-to-day, too, even. of Like, there's these massive swings from, you know, they just, I feel like it's, like, 
men that don't know how to set up women's golf courses <laughs> quite as well as they do men's golf courses. There's more variables. Right? Well, and I think a lot of these classic championship courses were designed for, you know, in the eyes of men. And we, we really don't have golf courses that are designed for the women's game. But we could do, we'll, we'll, we, I think we can touch on some more of that. Let me, let me quickly just mention a, a few more from the top 10. Number six, I think the most fascinating player in women's golf, Lexi Thompson, 27 years old now, uh, is a major winner, has been on the scene like Lydia Ko for like 11 years now, which is impossible to, to comprehend. Honestly, actually, maybe a, a few more years than that. So somebody that feels like, like has had a full career and is still 27. Um, what's most fascinating about Lexi, she is a top 10 machine. She is a cash machine. She is so consistent, but unfortunately for her, that consistency has also been not winning. She doesn't have a tour win, not a major, a t an LPGA tour win since 2019, which is unfathomable to me. It's crazy. She's played in 48 majors. She's 27. She's played in 48 majors. Now, granted, there's five majors, and we can debate the merits of the Evian, but uh, she's this year will be her 13th U.S. Women's Open. She's again, she's 27. <laughs> it's wild. Guys, she can't. She can't close it. I she mean, struggles. Oh. She can't. The the putter. It's. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where uh, we talked about this this last week with Hideki and his putting and, like, how good of a ball striker they are and, like, how everybody's like, oh, if you look at, like, you know, strokes gain putting. And for Lexi, like, she, you just got to change something. She had four second-place finishes last year, one of them in a major. The KPMG was unbelievable. Ooh. She had another top five it, at the Chevron. All right, she she is there. All right, like most of these times, she is like the thirty or seven or fifty four hole leader going into Sunday, and like it's painful, painful to watch because I'll say this, and I know this this is going to go against everything you guys say. I want Lexi to win. I want Lexi to be that person because she is so damn good. Okay, until you get. To the putting green. And not even like at all the times. Like she's a good putter unless you put her in a pressure situation. I understand that all the rest of that stuff doesn't matter. But she's got to find it. And I don't know. I would say first, uh, why, why don't we start with taking the glove off? All right? <laughs> Amen. We can start there. Maybe it's just a different feel thing. Who knows what it is? Because there's nobody that's like, a better ball striker. She hammers the golf ball. She's in phenomenal shape. Like one of the most fittest people that I I know, not just in golf, like in general. And overall, it seems like there's just like is an an actual physical block, or is it a mental block? That's that's my thing, man. It feels it feels really mental. Like at KPMG, it wasn't just the putting down the stretch. It was, it was other stuff too. It was chipping and and I feel like sometimes like watching her, it seems like. She doesn't love playing golf and maybe that's from doing it. You know, that's me psychoanalyzing, but like, you know, me not liking Lexi is a me thing. Like that's a me problem. Like I can't stand her swing. It like, it makes me physically uncomfortable. I don't know how she hasn't had like massive wrist issues. You know, she, it fucking works. She hammers it, but like, you know, and, and I just, I, like, I, I just can't do it. I feel like she's like a mixture of like 
<laughs> the worst elements of Ricky Fowler and Phil Mickelson put together. <laughs> That's such a good call. I was gonna. I was thinking Phil Mickelson as well. You, you mentioned the the KPMG last year. You know, we we saw her at the 2021 Women's Open, U.S. Open oh, at no. Olympic Club, where she held the 54 hole lead. And like you knew she wasn't like you knew she wasn't gonna get it done. She was leading after seven or eight holes, and it's just it's like. Holy shit, like it's playing out right before your eyes. Exactly. Bogeyed three of the last five holes, including 17 and 18, to miss a playoff by one stroke. It's 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 so apparent now, and I think it's such a a deal where she has to know it, right? She like it it just to your point, it it feels like this mental block that she has on closing and she's had some rules run-ins in the past in majors and, not good. and so you not good you wonder uh, or you have to think there's scar tissue there uh cody i'm kind of with you where her winning and winning big i certainly wouldn't hate it i think it'd be great for the women's game but if she continues to kind of falter down the stretch, she she just remains the most fascinating person out on the LPGA tour. I mean, Lexi versus Nelly would be insane. It would, yeah. Jen, have and you have you talked? Yeah, too. have you talked to Lexi ever? No, we've never. And that's another thing. Like, I think in the realm of the LPGA, where so many players, like you really can get in touch with them and, you know, you have mutual friends with them and everything. She seems very closed off, you know, like she's a little bit. Just doesn't answer those DMs. Yeah, right. She just, well, also she probably gets the most DMs out of anybody because I think that, you know, we make a big point of when we're at tournaments asking everybody in the crowd who their favorite golfer is, right? And she is by far the most well-known tour player, especially, you know, when you get out to a market like, um, you know, the Chevron last year in Palm Springs, you know, with the older crowd, the older male crowd loves Lexi, right? Um, and older men really are the demographic that most of golf is going for. So she's just the most popular. If there was some sort of Nelly versus Lexi, that's great. I mean, not to not to detract. It's tough to say that, right? Because like you wish that wasn't the reality. Like I personally wish that, that wasn't the reality because there's so many fascinating players. But yeah, Lexi's like, you know, longevity on tour and kind of all the close calls. Like we were at the KPMG last year. That was brutal. You know, I mean, I've never seen so much goodwill for somebody out there and have that much. It was just it was tough to watch, you know, like. Not good, not good at all. <laughs> well, also part of the, part, also part of us elevating this stuff to like the No Laying Up podcast, which you can take that however way you want, but like we're gonna call it out, like complete choke jobs here. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. It, it's it's bad. Okay. And it's just when you look at somebody who has like the will from it seems like everybody who is like Miss American Golf who has this hold on everything which. Seems to be like her game most of the time, except for on Sundays. All right, it's an issue, and it needs to be called out. And I, I, I'm not going to let you off that easy, Jen, because I know you <laughs> ride for her harder than anyone else I know. Anyone else lately? Ever and I, I want to her- know. Yeah, why? She's like, well, okay, because she's like an underdog and not an underdog at the exact same mm-hmm. time, which is crazy, right? She's dominant, but she's also an underdog, which like doesn't make any sense. But she's I think it so is so complex because of that bugaboo of like, 
you know, whether it's a mental thing, and it most likely is just because it doesn't add up with the rest of her game, right? To watch her win would feel really good just because, like, she kind of deserves to, you know? Like, she's been at it this long, so I, I, I feel like, and this is another complete conjecture, but I feel like she's, like has the weight of like a secret or something. <laughs> I feel like she's hiding from herself in some sort of way that, you know, I, I mean, I would just love to see her like have a new PR campaign or something where it's like, or be the villain maybe, you know? I think she'd be a fantastic villain if she decided to kind of maybe start being a bully, maybe start talking a little more shit, you know? Because um, she is so athletic. She's like scary a little bit. Like I probably... We haven't spoken with her that much, but I also haven't approached her very much like at tournaments because she doesn't seem like she wants to be approached by the likes of me, especially. So, um, you know, I think lean into that, right? Lean into being the intimidating, like the veteran, you know, and then win because that's the other part of it. You know, you, you gotta, you gotta, she needs, before she stops playing golf, she needs to, I think, win a major, right? She can't walk away. Maybe she never will. She is like super, super complex. Like she's really, she does... Like by all accounts, she's like bought into the LPGA as far as like she goes to all the pro am parties. She does yes. the stuff behind the scenes that like some of the other top players don't do candidly. And she does it like, you know, with a smile on her face. But then like I come back to the choke at Olympic, right? Like her agent gets up there and basically like doesn't let her talk to the media or at KPMG. And it's like no, man, like, that's not the fucking deal here. Like, you're a professional athlete, and, like, you know, and there's enough of these that have built up now to where, like, you got to address mm -hmm. it and and do it in the moment. And I will like say the, this, too. And the family's, you know, like, she comes, I don't really, there's some weird shit going on with the family. Yes. It's it's a strange deal. Yes, and I'll, I'll say this, too, is, and this is a uh, one of our many categories that we'll get to in this podcast, but Lexi also appears to be one, uh, probably at the top of the list that wants to chase that bag, man. And oh, yeah. uh, I'm not just talking about a Ramco team series. I'm talking about whatever the future of the women's game looks like. Lexi is like agent number one in whatever formation that that is going to be. I mean, and Lexi's skin like, would blow up. <laughs> you guys know about her skincare Lexi's line? I do. Yeah, Randy's, she has a skincare Randy's line. Randy's on a regimen. Yeah. <laughs> you're glowing. Oh, thank you. You could tell that you're a Lexi skin user. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's there's there's shades of Phil Mickelson not being able to close a major. There's shades of I almost think, and again, this is conjecture. You mentioned it, Jen. Like there's some Tiger Woods. Just he's been you know how tiger was groomed to be a pro golfer and in the spotlight for so long i i kind of worry some of that with with lexi her only major was the 2014 a well it was the ana back then and right yeah we're going nine years now she's she's won one major and it's it's just incredible truly truly fascinating I, I will say ranked seventh in the world is Canada's Brooke Henderson, 25-year-old, has won two majors, absolute fan favorite from Canada. Her, her fans from Canada travel so well. 
and are always so vocal and present at any event she is playing in. It's it's really incredible. Eighth is Inji Chun from Korea. She's 28 years old, really re-emerged in 2022, winning her third major. Uh, she also was runner-up at the British Open. Had been in the wilderness for a while, but appears like she has found her game again. Ninth is Korea's Hyuju Kim. Probably is the least known of anybody in the top 10. She's 27 years old. She won 15 times in Korea and Japan, both strong domestic women's golf tours over there. She did win the Evian back in 2014 and has won on the LPGA Tour each of the last two years. And then 10th. She's a killer. Yeah, she, she's she's a, kind of a like, quiet killer. Great swing, yeah. like awesome off the tee. Her family runs a wonderful Korean barbecue restaurant. <laughs> Uh, east of Seoul. And then 10th is uh, Nasa Hataoka of Japan. She's 24, 24 years old. She won six times in Japan and has now won six times on the LPGA Tour, still searching for her first major, but somebody that's just always kind of sniffing around at, at especially the big tournament. So that's your, that's your current women's top 10. I want to briefly mention the award winners from 2022. These are all points-based, which I think, Cody, you can maybe get us into a little bit. Lydia Ko was obviously the player of the year last year, as we said. The Vare Trophy is a big deal on the women's uh, in the women's game. It's awarded annually to the lowest scoring average. There are certain minimum requirements for you know tournaments played, rounds uh, counted. Lydia also won that last year. And then the Rookie of the Year was Ataya Titicum. It was, uh, I, I think we'll look back, it was a pretty strong rookie class in 2022. And I think 2023 will be a, a very strong rookie class as well. So that's kind of the players. I, I wanted to mention just briefly uh, before turning it over to you, Cody, we, we've kind of hinted at this global nature of the women's game. And when I... I I went through the current top 50 in the world and just broke it down by country. And I think there are some interesting things. The the Korean, the South Korean women, there are 13 of them currently in the top 50 in the world. And Cody, you, you said Seiri Pak. I mean, Seiri Pak is the biggest name in Korean golf. And she is, I, I mean, it feels like she's single-handedly responsible for this golf boon that has developed in Korea, uh, certainly on the women's side, but I think she's had a huge influence on the men playing over there as well. Yeah, I definitely, definitely agree with the influence on the men's side as well. And I think that they've also recognized that, but what she's been able to do for not only just professional golf, but like golf for a, a population that that's a golf craze country. We were very fortunate enough this last fall to go over and, and be there for the BMW Ladies Championship and also hang out a couple days prior to do and like take in everything that not only like in the major, you know, in Seoul, which is the largest city in the country, but also to get out like in the country and try to figure it out. And like everything goes back to Seri Pak. It is, it's phenomenal to look at. I, I don't know if there's any other countries that that would ever happen in again. I, I think that people kind of seem to to think that that's maybe like what Hideki could do for golf in Japan, but they already had a head start. They, it was like golf was at zero almost when Seiri picked up the game and then burst on the scene and then just 
like started this this long, long, long line of phenomenal professionals that have come up behind her. Yeah, it's uh, like I said, I, I think everybody in and around the women's game will tell you South Korean women are, I mean, just Korea is the strongest golfing country uh, on, on the women's side right now. And second in the top 50 is, is the U.S., uh, Nelly Korda, obviously leading the way. We've, we've spoken about her. Jennifer Cupcho is just outside the top 10. She won a major last year. Um, she's a bit of an interesting person in that. I, I feel bad saying this, but she's, she's just very quiet, and I think that makes her not as marketable, certainly not as marketable as Nelly, definitely not as marketable as like a Danielle Kang. And that's totally okay if that's the way she wants to be and that's the way she is. But I think somebody that's just going to often get overlooked. But she has big-time game. She's a long hitter, very successful amateur career out of Wake Forest. Uh, just wanted to, to touch on Jennifer amongst the U.S., uh, the, the better players on the U.S. side. And then we get into, you know, Japan has nine players in the current top 50. Uh, Hanako Shibuno won the the women's british in a fairy tale it was the first time she'd ever played golf outside japan a few years ago she has so much swag so much swag <laughs> like she's always smiling and she just wears like the coolest shit like, it, the asian she's players like my spirit have animal. such a fashion edge on and maybe it's just because it's different to me and i don't see it very often but with like the high socks and like uh who was it that wore the kill bill outfit in the 2020 um u.s open was oh, that Lee I Six? Say maybe it. You know, I weirdly want to say it was Nasa. Oh, okay. I think it might have been Nasa before she had really burst onto the scene in a huge way. But she wore this like all yellow outfit, and I my jaw dropped when I saw her. I was like, "This is what I've been waiting for." Monochromatic yellow you in and, a major. You and me both. I was, I was like, "I'm gonna avant garde." <laughs> it's cool, you know. Have some fun with it. You can wear anything yeah. you want, technically. Well, actually, I guess not in the LPGA. They still do have that dress code and everything. Who says that they'll enforce it? <laughs> it's funny. We've we've been talking, you know, like we went down we went on the leaderboard. We went down the the, the uh, top 10 and then we've talked about three countries so far. We have not mentioned a single player from Europe yet. I, I know. Which is interesting, it, it, right? We're getting that. I've been holding it in. I think the thing to keep in mind with with the Japanese players, they have like Korea, I Solly might call it, you know, some some world ranking manipulation, but they do Japan and Korea both have domestic women's golf leagues and i think you will see a lot of not a lot but you'll see names in the top 50 that you won't see week to week on the lpga tour and that's because they're competing pretty much primarily in korea or they're competing primarily in japan and you know if they if they really break through they'll they'll jump to the lpga tour i mean hanaka shibuno is is the perfect example of that but I, I think just, uh, you know, if you're somewhat new to the women's game, I, I think that bears mentioning. Tron, to your point about Europe, I know an immense point of pride for you. Sweden is tops when it comes to European women's golf. Uh, would, would be remiss not to mention the Annika influence here. I mean, you, you talk to every player out there now and, and they all you know, consider her their golfing hero. She's she's played a huge part in developing the game in Sweden, which we we also heard on Tourist Sauce. 
and it seems like they have a young generation that's that's you know they're they're coming like coach prime you know they're they're coming and they got nice luggage and i think that starts with <laughs> lynn grant and maya stark are are two inside the top 50 lots of game and then you have a stalwart like anna norquist who's who's won majors on the lpga tour and somebody close to our heart madeline saxstrom who has all the talent in the world and is really just searching for that big breakthrough yeah, they're they're coming, and their their luggage is uh, is is like Fjall Raven yeah. or something like that. <laughs> so there, I mean, I I I think Lynn Grant's going to be in. The, I think she's going to contend for number one in the world by the end of twenty twenty three. I yeah. think that's one of my big like predictions. Like she hasn't played she hasn't played around the golf in the United States. We got to get her vaccinated. You know, like, God, we got to get her vaccinated. <laughs> it's tough. Oh, is that or, the or issue? get that lifted right? Yeah, yeah, or get that lifted. She, uh, that's that's everything we've heard is she's she's not able to compete stateside yet because of her vaccination status. That's too bad. Um, and then yeah, that leaves the surprises, right? Uh, Australia, New Zealand. I feel like I feel like you got to shout out France as well. You know, France, a little bit of Spain, but France. You got my girl Celine Boutier. Uh, Pauline, Roussin Bouchard, you've got some you know, coming along a little bit. I love Celine's game. It's so, <laughs> it's so tidy and classy, and it, I love watching her play. No, absolutely. Pia Babnik is somebody from Slovenia that I, I think could could really make a splash in 2023. But what I was going to say, you know, Australia, New Zealand, the 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 women that they do have representing them, Lydia Cope, Minji Lee, and and Hannah Green is the other Australian in the top 50. Uh, Tons of game, but I'm a little surprised by the lack of depth there, at least on uh, a world-class level right now. And then, you know, my my hitters in the GB and I, uh, you know, Leona McGuire is pretty much everything she does is a first for Irish women's golf. She's the first Irish woman to win on the LPGA Tour last year when she did that. And England only has two women right now in the top 50, Georgia Hall and Charlie Hull. And I, I think that's the most disappointing for me. I mean, this is obviously a, a proud golfing region, tons of golf, you know, access to golf at, at early ages. I, I just find it hard to believe that they only have, you know, England only has two players in the top 50 and there's one Irish woman. Randy, it fits right in with your, your you know, you've, you've gone hard on the, on the English as far as, uh, you know, them not stepping up on the men's side either. It goes Part and parcel with it that. It does. Yeah, it does. And then, you know, South Africa is, is an interesting one. Ashley Buhai is is the lone South African woman. Um, that's a very strong country on the men's side. Canada, Brooke Henderson is is alone representing Canada at the, at the you know, at the world class level. Um, I think China, if if there's, you know, one country over the next ten years, we're gonna see a big influx of of really world-class golfers it's china but right now there's only one in the top 50 so how did you get this far without mentioning thailand yeah how did you do that well that's what the jutanagarn sisters that's what's so surprising outside of titicum right now the the jutanagarn sisters aren't the top 50 that's crazy yeah it it really is but thailand thailand is is a very strong very strong women's golf uh area of the world Outside of the Jutanicard sisters, uh, the one, the one hope that I have this for this year is that Patty returns. Pat, to God, I didn't even oh, mention man. Patty. Oh man, I almost forgot about I, Patty. Oh, 
Talk about the forgotten and woman that's awful. right now. I know. Ah. So Patty Tavitanikit, for anybody that doesn't know, big-time amateur career, went to UCLA here stateside, earned her card, broke onto the scene, winning the – it's now the Chevron Championship, the first major of the year in 2021. Just had an excellent, excellent year out on tour. And then, like, has completely seemingly lost her game in 2022. Missed the cut at – the Women's Open, the Women's PGA, the Evian, and the British Open has fallen outside of the top 50 in the world. I, I think is probably number one in terms of, yo, we need to we need to get this right because she needs to be in the top 10 of, of women's golf. She She's long as hell. She hits the shit out of the ball. Very thoughtful person. I've gotten a chance to interview her. I, I love how thinking and reflective she is it's just a shame that yeah she's she's really searching for her game it very much a life thing it, yeah. it's not it, it takes a lot to be able to perform at the world-class level week in and week out and sometimes it's your game sometimes it's your body sometimes it's your head and sometimes it's your heart and you never know what's going to be there and what's going to be missing week in and week out and i know patty will be back that's that's the only hope that I have, but big, I think this is a great overview on the countries to watch. And I think it's a great kind of segment here because there is an event that's back on the calendar this year. And that's the international crown. Yes. The last time we saw that was in 2018. It was supposed to be played in 2020, but got pushed off because of COVID and it's finally back on the calendar. So it's going to be May 4th through 7th at Harding park. And there's eight countries uh, for this match play event that have already qualified. So they closed at the end of last year. Those countries are going to be the United States, Korea, Japan, Sweden, Thailand, England, Australia, and China. The reason why countries like, uh, you know, New Zealand's not going to be there. Lydia is not going to play because there's not enough players from that country to qualify based off of the points that are needed. So we know that those countries are going to be represented, but we don't know who those players are going to be yet. Those players are going to be announced the beginning of April based off of the final Rolex rankings following the LA Open. So we'll see who the four players are that represent each of their countries. And the cool thing about this is that it's a normal Thursday through Sunday event, but it's match play. And Thursday through Saturday, I mean, they're playing different formats here. So they're going to be two four-ball matches and then leading into kind of like a semi-final round where it's two singles matches and then a four ball to get to the final. So it's, it's really cool to see. And when you look at the, the teams and what we think they're, they're going to be, at least how they're stacking up, it's hard, very, very hard, not to say that Korea will not be at the forefront of this. But I'm going to give TC a bone here and say maybe we haven't seen everything from Sweden because I think they were kind of shorted on qualification points, but hopefully by the time that we get to that point, either, you know, tourism policies change via immigration and we can actually get the rest of the squad here because I think having Sweden represented as a team at the international crown would be phenomenal, phenomenal viewing. And this is kind of the only opportunity that we get outside of the Solheim Cup to kind of see what everybody's been clamoring for, which is a U.S. versus Korea match play event. Yeah, I think also, I mean, it's a it's a good opportunity for like a player like Steph Kiriakou from Australia, 22 years old. Like, she's 
kind of new on the scene. She had a pretty good year last year, top ten at the at the women's at the women's British. You know, getting her some of that depth that you were talking about, Randy. Of like, all right, you know, let's step up to the plate and get a little bit more depth because it's kind of the same thing on the men's side for Australia right now too. Yeah, I'm thrilled to see the international crown come back because when I was going through the schedule and thinking about like why certain players are my favorites, you know, it's really putting them in those like team you know, uh, the team events that kind of show like a lot of more personality. And so, you know, it was another thing. Okay. This is another thing that I was thinking of on top of not being able to see some of the Asian players in a team event, but now we will get that. I think that potentially, I don't think this will ever happen, but it seems a little bit unfair that Gabby Lopez from Mexico and Brooke Henderson from Canada will never get to be in a Solheim cup or any sort of team event, because I feel like they're, those are two very good players that I would like to see get to be on a team but can't believe you just did my girl maria like that mm. how could you forget that gabby is out there with her country woman maria Fossey? is maria Fossey okay. top what, what what where is she in the rankings right now do we know she's one of my bold predictions for making a break having a breakout year this year because i feel like she's ready to live up to kind of what was what was predestined for her at the anwa Jen, you asked very good questions, and I am efforting this in real time. Uh, I, I can say I don't know off the top of my head, and it looks like she is ranked 104th right now. Oof. All right, do you guys go more off the Rolex rankings, or I go more off like the C, like race to CME Globe a little bit too from last year? Because that's, I don't know, like I'm looking here, like Randy was shitting all over the Scots. All right, Gemma Dryberg, she was, she was, you know, 34th. Right. Or like we haven't we haven't talked about Megan Kang at all. We haven't talked about Marina Alex at all. We haven't talked about Andrea Lee at all. Andrea Lee, I think, is a predator in training. I love it, TC. I and you know what I love more than that is your perfect segue. Just alley ooping the ball to Cody. Cody, why don't why don't you take <laughs> us through kind of the, the system around the LPGA tour? What what is this race to the CME globe? So it's their FedEx Cup or the, the, the race to the FedEx Cup, however you want to say it. So for the LPGA, they follow the race to the CME Globe. Points, just like FedEx Cup points, there are accumulated throughout official LPGA events, which include the majors. The season-long winner of it, just like Lydia last year, is the race to the CME Globe champion. The points are broken down basically in, in twofold. Major tournaments are, of course, elevated points, but on the, the flip side of it, that there are other people, we talk about the global game, who are playing in or get into LPGA Tour events that are not members of the LPGA Tour. Now, the only way outside of through qualifying to be a member of that tour that they can get those points, which I found was shocking, was that they actually have to win and then they can recoup those points. But basically how it boils down to is that every LPGA event that has a cut, um, uh, they're awarded points based off of that cut. If the event doesn't have a cut, such as, you know, I invitationals or anything else like that, they're like awarded. Like this week, the, the tournament of champions. Yeah, like this week. All they have to do is finish all four rounds. That means no withdrawals, no DQs, anything else like that. And then the one outlier from that is the Dow Great Lakes Invitational because it's a team event. Um, the points are set out a little bit different. If there's two cuts, you're awarded based off the finish of the second cut. And then everything kind of trickles down from there. Like I said, there's an elevator in there for majors. Um, an official win for a normal weekend, week out 
LPGA Tour event is 500 points. Um, a major, like I said, is 650 points. And then how they trickle and stack down from there is kind of at like a 30% more value than a traditional weekend and week out. Now, why does all that stuff matter? You know, because I think we we live in the land of FedEx Cup points and what's a FedEx Cup point and like what is that actually worth and whatnot. Well, it gets them into like a ton of events. It also helps them so they can get into majors, but also like securing their card at the end of the year. The qualification for the LPGA Tour is different than qualification for the PGA Tour in which basically if you finish at in, in the top 80 at the end of the year, you can play in whatever LPGA event you want the following year. If you finish in the top 100, unlike the top 125 on the other side, you have status and you're considered still with your LPGA Tour card. There are some events that you're not going to be able to get into right away unless you perform good on the front end of the season before the reshuffle happens and so on and so forth. The fascinating side of it is that the qualification process. So Q school, everybody knows what Q school is, but kind of how does the LPGA handle and manage their Q school? So they do it twofold. First through normal Q school, they have two stages of Q school until they get into Q series. And Q series is fascinating to me. And I, I know that we have young hitters that have played in the new Q series the last couple years but it's basically 272 whole events in back-to-back -back weeks which is nuts and the it's fact that there's the, the fact that there's a 72 hole cut just to make it to the following week is uh, a kind of insane to me and they're played at uh, two different venues two different golf courses like it's a ton of preparation and everything that goes into it so you can get your lpga tour card through q series and finishing in the top, let me see, I think it's the top 30. Oh, excuse me, top 45 get their get their card, their LPGA Tour cards. And everybody who makes that final cut at Q School will get Epson Tour status. Epson Tour being the LPGA Tour's Corn Ferry Tour, you could say, is a season-long tour. They also have their own points list. And at the end of the Epson year, they award 10 full LPGA Tour cards to their 10, you know, top point getters at the end of the year. So really, really cool to see how it all breaks out and, and rack and stacks. And you can kind of see where people's games fall in at. Now, on the LPGA Tour, just like PGA Tour, there's also Monday qualifiers for the majority of the events that are not majors or invitationals. Um, unlike the Corn Ferry Tour or however you want to say it, the the whatever sponsor that's in there now. On the Epson Tour, there is not Monday qualifiers. It's a weird kind of closed-loop system that I know people have been clamoring for a long, long time, is that basically, in order to get an Epson Tour card, you have to finish it at Q-Series and make that final cut, or else you kind of cut off for the rest of the year. There's no other feeder to kind of work your way back in. The other cool thing is that you know, there's no more, you know, deferments. You have to be a professional in order to join. They changed that rule where amateurs who are still in college or are still playing amateur events can go and kind of delay when they turn professional based off of whatever ranking that they had coming out of Q school. 
Um, and that's no longer the case. So stage one, you got to show up and you got to be a professional golfer. There's no kind of halfway in, halfway out. So when you look at the whole ladies professional golf ecosystem, uh, at the top end, it, it kind of seems like there's a little bit of wiggle room. There's obviously special exemptions given to people who have status from some of the other global tours that can come over to play on LPGA tour events or get sponsored invites or, or things like that. But kind of at the bottom end, it's a very closed off system that I think that a lot of people definitely at the LPGA, but specifically the Epson tour could look at changing because if you're looking for more people to get into the game that maybe didn't quite want to wait until, you know, after, you know, we're looking at like six, seven months post the end of their college career to get this opportunity and, and say they have a bad week at stage two, they're basically out for another year outside of playing like women's all pro events or something like that. So it was interesting to me uh, to dig into there. I think one thing to add is when we talk about, you know, the game within the game, the top 60 in the season-long race to the CME qualify for the LPGA Tour Championship, which is their last event of the year. The Tour Championship is a huge deal because it's a $7 million purse amongst 60 women. The winner this year received $2 million, which is the biggest first-place prize in women's golf. I think last place got like 48000 which is a, a great take-home. But what makes it different than on the men's side, the LPGA Tour Championship, you just have to be one of the 60 women to get into the event. And then all the points are erased, and it's a pure four-day tournament with winner-take-all. So you could sneak in as the 60th woman on the race to the CME season points list and win the Tour Championship and collect $2 million. So it's, it's a huge deal to be in that top 60 so you get into the Tour Championship. Now, the other thing, diving in and trying to figure out, hey, what are these storylines kind of that we're going to be following this year? And you guys already mentioned it, and that's with Lydia Ko being two points away from being, you know, eligible for the Hall of Fame. And I, I th I've known this to be the case for a while, but the, the LPGA Hall of Fame, there is no um, voting criteria. There is, there is no selection process. It's truly a point, uh, based system in which you, you earn specific points based off of your finishes and events. There's, there's nothing else outside of that. It's bullshit. You don't it's like that. It's discriminatory TC? against the eye test. It's discriminatory against the eye true. test, right? Yeah, Randy? It does. It does eliminate the eye test. I kind of dig it though, because it's like, it's black and white. You know exactly what you need yeah. to do to make the hall of fame. In order to make the Hall of Fame, you got to have 27 points. Currently, Lydia, as we discussed, sits at 25 points. So where, where do these points come from and kind of how does this whole thing make sense? Well, you get points, obviously, based off wins. So normal LPGA Tour wins, other global wins, and major wins. So for each LPGA Tour win, you get a point. You get two points for any LPGA major. And as Big mentioned at the top, kind of the player of the year, the Rolex player of the year award and the VAR trophy, they matter because you get points for both of those. So currently Lydia's 25 points are broken down from 17 LPGA tour wins. She has two VAR trophies. She has two player of the year 
awards, and she has four points coming from her two major championships. So you look at that. Of the active, uh, there's only one active member uh, that's currently playing, and that is NB Park, who is still actively participating, but also is a member of the Hall of Fame. And there's not that many of them that are in the Hall of Fame. It's very, very difficult to get in. Which I think uh, is like sick. A, that is yeah. sick. I mean, it's not like, uh, it's it's kind of cut and dry. It's purely performance-based. Um, but you could say that on the outside of that, there's a ton of people who have done an, an awful lot for the women's game who are not included in this. But uh, rules are the rules. I respect that. And uh, we'll look forward to Lydia getting another two points this year, hopefully. The one rule that I, I that has been discussed as being a little bit, you know, maybe tough is the 10-year rule, that you have to play on the tour for 10 years minimum, which was the reason up until last year Lorena Ochoa was, you know, taken out of the Great running, point. which is kind of crazy to think about, right? Because she still holds the, what, the season-long money record? Is that what they call it? Won the most yeah, money if, in one season, um, which is yes. crazy that that was in like the thousands and the purses were nothing. Did she win every single tournament? <laughs> she won a lot to do yes. that. Yeah, she that's did. crazy. There should be like a mega hall of fame where like if you like if you qualify <laughs> in under 10 years, like that's more impressive yeah, than, right? than playing for 10 years. The other weird thing is that I, I uh, we're, you know, we talk about like how are these players getting into some of these fields a lot on the men's side and like the what's the like total money won throughout their career like what what's the category that jimmy's getting into every event now top top 50 career money the, uh, the, that doesn't the matter get out of jail free card yeah <laughs> okay, the, the money doesn't matter because it's become so elevated based off like not only like year over year things changing and purses changing but like you cannot even rack and stack like wins that that an, like he got in the mid 2000s 2010s to like what purses are now like i don't understand why money is still a thing i i know why it used to be a thing where money was like basically rating your overall performance yeah but that's no longer yeah that's no longer the case at all jen uh 2007 lorena ochoa won 4.3 million dollars uh she played 25 events made the cut in every one 18 top tens eight wins including a major that's, and that's some catching yeah that's crazy and like how many million dollar purses were there even at that time you know right. like some of those purses had to be like max out at i don't even know probably not that much though right yeah i would probably Half say a like a, a zero there yeah. for how yeah. many her, her her stretch 2006 she won six times in 25 events 2007 eight times in 25 events and then 2008 she won seven times in 22 events that's that's maniacal yeah. makes me wish i was paying attention to golf then you know <laughs> yeah i know if only i had a time I machine know. The true grinders out there, then, just purely for the <laughs> yeah. love of the game. Well, yeah, Cody, it. thank you. I think that's hugely helpful as folks kind of think about the ecosystem of of the LPGA Tour. Jen, I asked you, could you? And and I know we're <laughs> we're already pretty deep into this podcast, but just maybe quickly, we we run through the 2003 schedule. I think I guess I should say for what I'm most excited about is just. Kind of talking about what some of our favorite events are. We, we talked about the International Crown, but good chance to highlight some more favorites among the rank and file. 
Totally. Yeah. We'll keep it. We'll keep it with the greatest hits here um, because it is a pretty long schedule. And that's one thing I've never written down every event um, before, but, you know, kind of wanted to like study it and really be prepared here. So 35 events on the schedule that take you really around the world. You know, we hit on one, two, three continents and, you know, it kind of bounces all around. Obviously, I know one of the big the big questions that people have, right, is about the uh the legitimacy of the Evian Championship as the fifth major on of the course. LPGA. So don't want to get too far without bringing that up. Um, because it's also, a disgrace. I mean, you know, and digging into it too and talking to players, I think everyone seems to be on the same page. But then again, it is a big purse. And I know that um, actually famously on the NLU pod, Stacey Lewis said that you can't just throw money at an event and call it a major, um, which seems like kind of what they've done at the Evian. You know, it seems to be a resort course. Um, it's, it's punitive in ways that don't really seem to add up. Our girl Lexi has had some choice words about kind of the quality of the golf course, um, famously in 2019 with a since deleted tweet. She skips the event now. Yeah. A lot of people do, you know, and I think that that is the, the biggest A lot of people test. skip it. Yeah. If, like it, if a lot of people are skipping, the world. it's not a major, it's not a major straight up. You know, and so I'm, I, you know, in Stacey Lewis, I trust, especially as our Solheim captain this year for Team USA. So, yeah, I mean, having said that, it's gorgeous. It shows really well on TV. Um, they've got that nice pink theme to it, which seems cool. Evian's actually a cool sponsor, kind of in the... In the field. Evian's not the sponsor, though. Oh, Are you clamoring for, what? like, an invite yes, right now? Yes, like, I really want to be invited to it. This Seriously, is not, not the place that for that. Is, no, no. That is a vacation of a golf tournament, okay? I would like to go. Those Check it views? out. Evian's, Evian's not the sponsor. It's it's at the Evian Resort in Evian, France. <laughs> oh, yeah, what's a Moondi? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what's a Moondi then? Okay, so that's uh, kind of a weird name for it then, if that's, if that's the case. All right, Jen's Jen's out now. I want I I would like to be invited to it before they take it away as a major. I would like an invite to that. It seems really fun. We've we've been campaigning on this for a while. That seems like a good one. You've been you've been compromised. All right. Well, we've got some other exciting things going on in the major um, the major schedule this year, though. So don't worry. Most notably, the first major of the year, not just in women's golf, but in golf as a whole, the Chevron Championship. The artist formerly known as the Craft Nabisco, formerly known as the Dinosaur. Hold on, I gotta, I gotta uh, correct is... you in real time. So the Chevron's gonna fall after the Masters this year. Ah, oh, shoot! Yes, I don't want, I don't want people coming after you, Jen. Okay, well, I appreciate that, Randy, because I know that you guys can, you tend to catch a lot of flack on here. So thank you for saving me from myself. That was its claim to fame for, for many years um, up until now. But they're moving to uh, Houston, because the Houston area, because of the new sponsor, Chevron, who came in last year, um, taking over for the A&A inspiration. I will say I like the Love fact that it's Love us some called, big oil. Call, Right. <laughs> I actually, I use the keychain. So I went to the Chevron last year because I wanted to kind of see, you know, the last time at Mission Hills seemed pretty historic. It was one of the most beloved venues and one of the only, you know, standing venues for a major. Um, and gorgeous as it was, you know, I think that it, it could stand to um, kind of be in a little bit more of a metropolitan area if uh, I've never been to Houston. So not sure the level of, you know, metropolitan that it is, but it was kind of an older crowd out in Palm Springs. You know, it's a little bit of a retiree, you know, Mecca, which is cool in a lot of ways. A lot of golf fans, but, you know, Chevron bringing it to Houston might be cool. 
Um, but I still use the Chevron keychain, and it's kind of weird a little bit. It was lesbian spring break. Yes, right? exactly. I didn't know that actually until recently. That that was back. The Dinosaur used to also have something called the Club Skirts Dinosaur Weekend, where they had concerts and comedy shows. And yes, it was the lesbian spring break, the largest number of lesbians and bisexuals gathering perhaps in the country. You don't think that they can do that in Houston? You know, I feel like Texas, no offense, hasn't been super popular with like the ladies as of, uh, you know, recent history. So TBD, you know, but I think that we'll see, right? Let's be clear too. They're, they're at the Woodlands, which is like way outside of Houston. Okay. And like probably the world's largest suburb, right? Yeah. I haven't been to the club at Carlton Woods where it's actually at, but I, I mean, the Woodlands is kind of like its own little island out there. I'm sure everything is going to be fine. I mean, was there a better place to have chosen in that area? I'm just curious, you know, like what what would what would be kind of a somewhere with a little bit more panache? Because I was really excited to see what the location was going to be. I think a lot of people were kind of waiting. But yeah, there hasn't been a ton of excitement around that um, that location. I think the only I mean, TC, you and I went to Champions in 2020 for the the women's open there that was you know that was fine and it's hosted majors uh i'm very curious to see about this golf course because it it feels like it's going to be an anchor course they're going to play it every year so i'm hopeful it will be a good venue uh tc you and i have talked about like the chevron felt like a, a major that they could really take not only around the united states but with Chevron being a mega oil company, it feel, felt like they could take that major all across the world, right? Put one in Korea, put one in Japan, put one on, in Australia. Uh, but it seems like they're, they're going to be in the woodlands every year. I agree. Yeah. And even like, you know, shit. I mean, go to like, go to Memorial Park in uh, Houston. That would yeah. be sick. You know, I know they have a PGA Tour event there, but I don't know. Just, you know, and then uh, Marathon dropping their sponsorship of the uh, Toledo event. Yeah. So big oil getting out a little bit, too. <laughs> uh, maybe that's little oil. Get, uh, <laughs> yeah. Medium, <laughs> medium sized oil. Yeah. yeah. The next major, though, is a little bit more exciting. We've got the KPMG, which is going to be a Baltazol. Um, so that's a what, good one. What, what'd you say? Baltazol. Okay. Just wanted to make sure. Paul Balter's wrong. <laughs> I'd like to be. I'd like it to be very clear that I, I do not approve of of this location. I do not approve of of Baltusrol at all. You know, me and TC were at Baltusrol last year, and he was singing nothing but praises for it. So I don't know where. Really? Oh, I, I don't know when this changed. He said he loved it. Loved his time there. It's fine. Well, I think some of the players are excited. The the players are excited because it's a. I, I think it's a great venue for the ladies insofar as there's history with men's majors there as well. And so for the, the casual viewer, there's an obvious interest in a course like Baltusrol. I will say the KPMG is year in and year out one of the favorite events amongst the players. They, they do really well taking care of them, courtesy cars. It, it feels like a cream of the crop event on, on the women's schedule. Yeah, those custom cookies that they had last year, really impressive. I've never been so impressed by a cookie in my life. I took several home, actually, and they were delicious as well. So very impressed with KPMG. I think they definitely are a, a class sponsor. I'm worried about you, like, just being... <laughs> very influenced here by the... 
The lickies and chewies. The, so- hey, the Saudis are going to come around and, and she's going to sure. be singing MBS's praises here soon. No, we already, we, we were invited to one of the, uh, one of the, what are, what are the little, the tournaments that they do? A Ramco yes, team we got, series We got an invite year. to a, a pro-am there, but we politely declined. She um, said the price was not uh, high enough. <laughs> yeah, we weren't getting paid anything. Was I was like, where are the cookies? Where's the, where's the courtesy car? One perks. thing we kind of, we kind of flew past it here, but a new event on the schedule this year, uh, the Mizuno America's Open, actually oh, yeah. going to be held at Liberty well, another National. Mizuho, Mizuho, excuse me, Liberty National is another Mizuho. one of TC's favorites. God damn! I, uh, <laughs> while we're at, like hitters row here, I, I I would love to get your your thoughts on that. Me? Of course, you TC. There's a there's a junior element to that one, right? Like they're bringing in some of the top top juniors from. You know, around the, like, I, it'll show really well on TV. Uh, Michelle's hosting it. I think it'll be really yes. cool. Yeah, I'm in favor. I, I played uh, Liberty National one time uh, years and years and years ago. And uh, it's the only place where the, you know, beverage cart comes out and they ask you, what do you want? And I said, I don't know, whatever you got. And they're like, no, no, this is like, a, you know, you order it from here unless it's a drink. And then we bring it back to you. Like, oh, okay, you know, I'll, I'll, I don't, just give me like a club sandwich. And the guys that I was playing with, like, you can't eat club sandwich. You got to get like a steak sandwich or something. And the food ended up coming out. In the back of this beverage cart, they put a white tablecloth over and it, it acted as your, your table uh, mid round. And at the middle of it, that went this giant bowl of shrimp cocktail. And it's the only time in my life I was like, you know, through six holes sitting there chowing down on shrimp cocktail in the middle of it. Middle of the course. It was a, it I'm was surprised a wild they don't, thing. I'm surprised they don't make you eat the shrimp cocktail out of one of the catch basins. <laughs> right. Out there. Uh, that Reebok money goes a long way, man. But I'm excited for that. Excited for Michelle. And I think it's something amazing that's, uh, you know, somebody who just stepped away, but is still going to be very much intertwined, still in the women's professional game, and is not only lending her, like, expertise, but her name to an event that's tying junior golf back into it. I think it's a really good time in the schedule beginning of June to show off golf in the Northeast that we don't really get a lot of other times. Um, and it sets up a, a really cool kind of swing of the Northeast Northeast up there outside of the one Grand Rapids event um, where you kind of like have a hub for the ladies schedule. I am a little bit concerned and I know we haven't gotten to the U S open yet, but the 4th of July weekend falls in between the KPMG and the U S Women's Open this year at Pebble Beach. And stacking kind of two majors back-to-back like that, I don't know, is, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? What do you guys think? It seems daunting to me personally. Even just looking at the schedule is is daunting. You know, I mean, everyone knows that being a professional golfer is a grind, you know, and that's to be expected. But also crisscrossing the country at the same time, having the 4th of July in the middle there and the heat of the summer seems like a lot, you know, and especially with Pebble being such an important one to so many players, you know, people are so pumped up for the Pebble Beach U.S. Open. Um, so it kind of seems to take away a little bit of like the, I mean, or, you know, maybe on the bright side, it could be a great thing. You know, you could get people tuned in at the KPMG and then hopefully carry over to the U.S. Open. But, um, but yeah, it seems like a lot. I'm fine with it. I'm more concerned about the stretch in May that they go from International Crown, uh, like they've got that West Coast swing, they got the Wilshire event, and they go to Harding Park. Next week they go to Upper Montclair for the Founders Cup, which is a great event. And then they go they go to Shadow Creek uh, in Vegas from the 24th to the 28th. So uh, 
there's a week off in between, and then they go back to Jersey. Uh, and it, like, it just seems like a lot of crisscrossing the country when like that, that one just seems so out of place in late May. It's hot as shit in Vegas at that point. Like, can we not do that one at like a better time that fits in a little bit better when, when you're already on the West coast? That's a great point. Uh, Cody, to your point, it used to be shadow Creek match play right into the U S open. So I'm glad they've, which is horrible. horrible. So I'm glad they've moved the U S open to July. Even if we're playing back-to-back majors, I think I'm okay with that. TC to your point, it's the most miscast tournament on their schedule. I, the, 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 match play at shadow creek i have to think the sponsor absolutely will not move it because it it should fit in that west coast swing earlier in the year like you said it's it's a million degrees in vegas at the end of may and it just seems like a bit of a slog so fans can't even attend like you have to buy nights at at like at chat what is it the mgm it's it's like there there are no fans really on site it's a very weird event like i love the match play and i think shadow creek's a wonderful venue to play a match play tournament on it just some of the things around it don't make a lot of sense including the time of year one other one i want to call out to the 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 uh, lote championship in uh, hawaii that course is like too easy like that's one that like everybody's like yeah it's like the course is just too easy like it's crazy I'm stoked for Wilshire that's one of, that's probably one of my top three favorites to watch every year and, and Palos Verdes which is also on that West Coast swing was a, a super quirky course last year uh, that I think yeah just offered stuff you don't see a lot in the professional game like there's like a straight downhill par three that is a clubbing nightmare uh very hilly on the back nine it's it's a fun little test i think they they play that um at the end of march god pebble's gonna be so sick what i will say t just (laughs) to jump on the wilshire comment like that being inaugural event with the new sponsor coming on and a three million dollar purse is phenomenal like the it seems like some of these new events that are getting the the larger purses it's great because it Again, like I don't want to beat up on the match play too much because it stinks where it's at. It stinks where it's at on the calendar, and ultimately the purse absolutely stinks. Like, yeah. what what are we doing here? And and if it's sponsor obligations that's keeping it at that time in the calendar, like there's got to be something else you can figure out. Unless there's just this whole slew of perks that are coming with it that are not publicly announced. Very true. For the amount of golf that you play, you should be rewarded a little bit more. I've got problems with the Scottish Open site on Donald. Not a real links. It's it's kind of trash. And then and then I, I've said my piece on the 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 course that they play in uh, Northern Ireland. Bad, bad. <laughs> Jen, Jen, keep going. What's what's our next? Wait, what's our next? So is major? that is that the wa- is that the Walton Heath? No, 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 no. Walton Heath's great. Yeah. No, okay, okay. I was like, oh, geez. So the next major, well, after you've got the U.S. Women's Open at Pebble Beach the weekend after 4th of July, the next major is the Evian, which we touched upon, obviously. Um, the Evian, they go from the Evian to the Scottish Open, um, which Tron has set his piece on. Um, and then we're at the uh, the British, not the British Open, just the, just the Open, the Women's Open 
AIG at Walton Heath with Ashley Buhai defending. So I, I didn't know very much about Walton Heath, honestly. And I still really don't. So is that a, is that a good one or what's the deal? <laughs> what do we think about that good. one? <laughs> it's good. It's not, I don't think it's, I've never played there, but I don't think it's one of the best in that area, but it's, it's certainly a good, good test. They've got a good track record of, of British masters and such. Yeah. Um, and then the KPMG Women's Irish Open, which is a, a ladies European tour event, is at uh, Drummle and Castle in Ireland, which I, I'm not impressed with. That that leads into the Big Green Egg Open. I, I will say the thing to <laughs> note about Walton Heath for the British Open, it's not a Lynx course. It's it's a Heathland, as as TC said. So yeah. it, you're not gonna, you know, it's not your stereotypical uh, British Open in my eye. But I will commend uh, the RNA and um, the USGA have really made a push over the last several years to get the women's opens to premier spots. And as you look at the future venues for, for both the, the U.S. Open and the British Open, they're, they're going to phenomenal locations in the coming years. So very excited with these two tournaments. Yeah. Yeah, should be exciting. I mean, we had. Uh, I mean, obviously, we're we'll get to the Solheim in a minute, but in the uh, in the realm of kind of you know fun tournaments to watch that might have some sort of a little bit of panache uh, or a, a a cousin on the men's tour, I guess you could say. You know, early off in the season, you have the HSBC, which I was I was going to go in majors first, but the HSBC is uh, kind of known as the the Asian the Asian major um, unofficially because 12 out of the 14 winners have been major champions. So it's kind of an early test in the season. That's kind of a good one to watch. One that kind of has always confused me a little bit is the ShopRite. We played at uh, at the course there um, a few years ago, and I was absolutely shocked that it was a course that they host an LPGA event on. Not really what I would think of as a championship course. That's a pro-am too, right? No, I think they have a pro-am, but that's just, I think the shop right is just on its own. It's a 54-hole event. Yeah, yeah. Which is weird, too, the fact that they have the 54-hole events. Right. So there are a couple 54-hole events sprinkled in throughout the year. Jen, to your point, it's it's a relatively low purse by by LPGA standards. It I think, you know, ShopRite, it's it's just a legacy sponsor on the LPGA. I think, you know, um, a ShopRite event in New Jersey has been going on for a little while. Um, but as we look to the future of the women's game, I think that's the type of event that either needs to get an increase in investment or we're looking at possibly, you know, a, an upgrade and going somewhere else in the future. Which shout out to Big Grocery. I mean, Meyer, Kroger, ShopRite, Walmart, all sponsors. Yeah. Legit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, CP Women's Open is another one I wanted to call out at Shaughnessy out in Vancouver. That'll be oh, a good one. The, the, the Brook the Army course. will be out in full force. <laughs> <laughs> and from there, you know, they've got the, the Portland Classic, which for some reason I personally like watching. Um, I just find kind of the West Coast kind of fascinating. Uh, all the All the Redwoods and whatnot. Um, so that's kind of a cool one, funky little like hilly course. Obviously, you got the the Kroger then after, which we were at last year. Very very fun. The Queen City that was the inaugural event, uh, won by Ali Ewing. And are are you guys gonna go next year again? That was kind of your your 
you know, party, your little fiesta. It was our party. I, we, I don't think the full squad, I don't, we're not going to do an event around uh, the, the Queen City championship this year. I might go just personally. It's, it's a homecoming for me back in Cincinnati. I think I was a little nervous. Like I wanted it to be really well. I would love for a Cincinnati LPJ event to turn into a mainstay on the calendar. And it seemed well received. I thought, uh, full disclosure, Excel, who we work with, also put on this tournament. But I think they did a really good job in terms of building out hospitality, infrastructure around the course. It was, it was a good in-person experience. And from what I've heard from some of the yeah. players, it you know they were very well taken care of. It felt like a little bit of an elevated event just because of some of the the touches with courtesy cars and and whatnot. So um, positive positive things from the first year of the uh, the Cincinnati event. Well attended too. Yeah, yeah, great great buzz. As somebody who was who had never been to Cincinnati, I loved it. Obsessed. R- loved it. Who got to eat a, a four way or a coney? Oh yeah, well, well on the way on the way out, I used uh, my what was the is it the star starlight chili? Gold star, skyline, gold, skyline, gold star skyline. and skyline. Sorry, but only one's acceptable. Okay, I yes. had the good one. Yes, you I'm did. Pretty sure. I would not have let you have gold star. Lovely. And then obviously we got the Solheim at the end of September um, at Finca Cortisin, Cortisin, Cortisone, in Andalusia, Spain. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Your Which guess they, is as I think good. they have they have the wrong they have the wrong thing on the website right now. It says Robert Trent Jones Golf Club Andalusia Spain, which I, I'm, I'm a little bit. I, I was like, oh my god, there's a Robert Trent Jones Golf Club in in Spain as well because I know they're hosting the what the 2024 yeah next year they're doing it back to back right. They're hosting it there as well, which. I don't know. I feel like there's a there's an opportunity. I think this probably leads us into some of the strengths and weaknesses. But I feel like this like like there's an opportunity for women's game to go to a lot of places that the men's game has has outgrown from an infrastructure and logistics and distance perspective. And I'd like to see them lean more and more into that. I know that's easier said than done, and you know they'll they'll be back at Lake Merced. But like a Wilshire is a perfect example, or some of the places that they've had the the uh, Founders' Cup the last few years. A- amen to that. And and just to tie a loop on the Solheim, they, they are playing in Spain uh, this year, and then they're going to, because of COVID, they had they, they missed their regular year. So they're, they're going to come right back. It's, it's usually every two years, but they're going to come right back in 2024 and play at the Robert Trent Jones Club in, um, in Northern Virginia. So they'll get back on even year standing for the Solheim Cup starting in 2024. Yeah, but I think that also having it be a Solheim year, you know, makes you pay a little bit more attention to all of the events, you know, because even at the ones where, you know, it might not be the most exciting, there are Solheim points on the line. And it gets pretty exciting when you get down to the wire, you know. I One of my bold predictions for the year, which actually probably isn't that bold, is that, you know, the the two Swedes, Maya Stark and Lynn Grant, are going to kind of have, you know, their big break at the Solheim Cup this year. You know, I think that they'll be the ones that everyone's talking about um, throughout the the whole thing. So I'm really excited to watch them. It should be great. I'm stoked for Suzanne Pedersen to be leading yes. the way on the European side, too. Just oh, an absolute. Yeah. You want to talk about a predator and a killer? <laughs> That's my. Yeah. That's my that's my cup of tea right there. Would be actually really cool if um, Suzanne Patterson and Stacey Lewis had to like arm wrestle for you know standing or something because I think that that would be 
a bloodbath. And, and just for folks for qualifying uh, the Solheim Cup, the Team Europe they they take the top two players from the LET ranking, which is the ladies European tour. Um, so so you're going to get two off the LET, and then you're going to get the next top six players from the Rolex Women's World Rankings. And then the captain has four selections. So it's a it's a 12-person team, top two L- LET, top six in the world rankings, and then four captain's picks for Team Europe. And then on the U.S. side, the qualification for Stacey Lewis's team, it will be the top seven players on the U.S. Solheim Cup points list, which essentially just, you know, you accumulate points from all ranked events. And then... They'll take the next top two players from the World Rolex Women's World Golf Rankings, not in that top seven. And then finally, Stacy will have three captains picks. So a little bit different qualifying for each team and, and something we'll track throughout the year. I do wish the U.S. had a few more captains picks because I think that that has benefited Europe in the past, uh, clearly, and just kind of creates a little bit more excitement. You know, the unpredictability, uh, of the whole thing, kind of exciting. One other tournament to shout out, I think, is the the uh, Scandinavian mixed, the Volvo Scandinavian mixed. Uh, it's at Olna this year, outside of uh, Stockholm. That's a ladies European tour uh, co-sanctioned with the men's European tour event. Lynn Grant won it last year. I think it's awesome. I think it's it's something that's sorely needed on the on the U.S. side as well. Some sort of mixed event. Like I don't understand why they don't do the Tournament of Champions as a mixed event. It's a like it's a limited field for both sides. It doesn't make any sense. That's a great um, point. It's like yeah. no sweat off at anybody's. Think of the celebrities, bro. Where's Marty gonna Fish going to get reps? I like Marty Fish. I hate to make fun of Marty Fish because I like Marty Fish. Oh, they all seem. I love Derek Lowe too. You know what I mean? I think that they're all fantastic uh, people to be involved. You know, but Smoltzy, exactly. you know, Randy and Smoltzy have sat down and chopped it up before. So it's funny the uh, the ladies European tour. They're they don't have a. They don't have a tournament in Europe until until May 26th. Well, Jen, anything else or, or anybody, anything else to highlight from the women's schedule? Obviously, you know, folks listening, you can go on LPGA.com and, and see the full schedule. <laughs> Jen, that was the hard I, – I think I tasked you with the hardest thing, like, oh, just talk about the schedule. So Honestly, it was good studying. And I do want to shout out actually the Annika um, because I think that that's becoming kind of a, a really cool tournament. You know, it's right before the CME Tour Championship. And, you know, outside of the majors, it's got the largest purse, $3.25 million. So – Something to note. I always try to note the money, you know, following the money always with the LPGA. Well, very good. TC, <laughs> I think kind of before we all go around and, and offer some some bold predictions, I tasked you with just discussing a few of the strengths and weaknesses of of the LPGA Tour, the women's game, uh, and and other things kind of in, in that vein. Yeah, I think for strengths, I think just the, the global nature of it, it's truly a, a worldwide tour. Like Taiwan's back on the schedule this year. Um, Cause there was a weird gap between Japan and or Korea and Japan last year. But I think that's also probably an opportunity for, for more growth as well. Like doing more in Korea or more in Australia or more, more in different parts of the world, you know, to kind of fill out the schedule a little bit. Cause I think it's, you know, schedule gets a little light and, you know, Q1 into Q2 like that February through March or like February through May, it's kind of scattershot. Um, and then it, and then it closes pretty strong. And then, yeah, just we talked about it a little bit, but some of the, you know, venues as well, which I know is easier said than done. It's hard to get some of these Northeast clubs to, to 
you know, give up their course for, you know, a major, much less, you know, a yearly annual event. So I think, you know, getting kind of uncovering more and more striking venues, because I think watching the women's game on really, really like high end architectural courses makes me appreciate it even more. Cause it's like, they play, like they play the game the way that a lot of these courses were designed yep. to be played. Um, it's, you know, it's less it, like, it's more about precision and spin rates matter and all that stuff. So, um, I think that's both a, you know, they've done a good job with that last few years, but it, you know, it can certainly get a lot better. And then, you know, just like the entire calendar exists within like a calendar year. I love year, that. I which love I think is, the cleanliness of that. It's self-contained. It's, it's, it's clean. And when referring yeah. to stuff, you don't have to, well, it was the, you know, the, the 21, 22 season. It's like, no, it's, it's, it's like baseball in that regard where it's all contained in the same calendar year. Which I think one of the things that that gives you context. And then I think one of the weaknesses on the LPGA tour is finding it, right? It's knowing oh, yeah. what broadcast window it's in. It's knowing, and it seems like, you know, there's, there's obviously a debate going on between what's more valuable to be, you know, on TV or to be in a, you know, on network TV at all costs, right? No matter, no matter the window. Um, and then I think playing off that as well, like just like the statistics and the back end. And I know this, you know, comes back to having volunteers and, and the technology, but, you know, statistically having more, more context and more texture there as far as being able to know, like, Hey, this is, you know, like, it's almost like the LPGA tour is too eye testy. It's it's all <laughs> like, eye test. Yes. Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, they, you just you don't have shot link at every event like you do on the PGA tour. So when you go to the LPGA website and you look at stats, it's it's very rough, like driving distance and you know birdies per round. It's it's rudimentary statistics. And you know, shout out KPMG. They've made an effort. They they've instituted a program getting caddies to kind of do some of that um shot link tracking for them but you have human error and and there's a whole can of worms there but yeah. but they're trying to work like we have no shots gain statistics on the LPGA tour um like we do on on the PGA tour and, and so it just makes it as you're watching or you know as we're talking about it it does make it difficult to do some of the analyzing that we do on the men's side because we have such a, a wealth of information. And if there's one thing that I think the LPGA Tour should prioritize, that they have to build out a robust statistics uh, program across all their events. It, it just makes following, enjoying, appreciating the skill level uh, that much easier when we can see the numbers. So I, you know, if I were the commissioner that that is where I would focus a lot of attention personally. And then I think, you know, there's probably an entirely, we can probably focus on this on one of the, you know, upcoming Thursday pods of just some of the inherent threats, right. The, the, you know, no pun intended with, with like the, the whole craft Nabisco thing, but like the barbarians are at the gate with the Saudi Aramco exactly. uh, stuff and, and, you know, that, that whole team series and, and kind of what that looks like, you know, I know like the Saudi international, like the ladies event is, is going on in February. There's I'm sure there's going to be a lot of ladies going over for that. $5 million purse. Yeah. That's Which is, that would be the biggest non-major purse on the, you know, 
on the LPGA, right? Yeah, it seems like, you know, it's a, it's a tough like kind of conversation because, you know, you're getting what a lot of fans have been asking for, which are the bigger purses, right? But it's a big kind of at what cost question, especially when, you know, a lot of the issues within the Saudi Arabia thing is about women's rights, you know? So it's a very complex thing, I think, for players to have to navigate. But yeah, at the end of the day, you know, the money's there and it's it's life-changing money. So it's tough. But it's got to start happening too. Yeah, it's going to start happening. Uh, we already see a lot of the best players competing in their Ramco events. Um there's, there will be no institutional resistance like there was on the PGA Tour to to the Live Tour. I think, Tron, you're absolutely right. We could do a whole podcast on this, but it behooves the LPGA to work with Live when the time comes to create a system that benefits both of those entities. Yeah, and the Ladies European Tour is already working with. Exactly. You know, like they're already in that ecosystem. So it'll be really interesting to see how that how that develops. Um, I, I think maybe another, I think it's a strength, but it's, it's been perceived as a weakness is like going back to the global nature of the game. I think people, you know, it can be a turnoff for, you know, Joe Schmo on an average Saturday, turning it on and seeing a bunch of Korean names on the board. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think it's, it's very easy to speak a different language. They're not not as well known over here. Uh, the language doesn't necessarily always translate directly to, um, you know, English words. Like it's it's kind of tough to translate as well. So, I think you know more of an emphasis on some of the storytelling because I think like somebody like Shan Shan Feng, who's Chinese, or Inbi Park, or like they're they're hilarious and they're some of the most interesting people out there. But it's just a matter of like you know I think people need to get out of their comfort zones a little bit and and view these people as individuals and not just part of this you know, Asian wave, you know, kind of invading the LPGA tour because it's not, you know. Absolutely. Inji Chun is beloved in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Google <laughs> what she's doing for kids and, and that yeah. community. Uh, so Yun Ru is one of the most bubbly, well-spoken people. Uh, so, so you just have to, some of it's on, on the viewer to kind of get past that initial, as you said, like, okay, these are unfamiliar names. And then some of it's on the, the tour and the media partners and us to tell the story of, of these yeah. people and make them yes. better known. So absolutely agree with that, Tron. I, I think it's a strength, but it just has to be worked on. Yeah. And I've, I like, there's nothing I respect more in sports in general than like somebody who doesn't speak the language, getting up and speaking in English after they win, like that's like, I, I put myself in those shoes and I'm like, all right, let's say I won a big tournament in Korea <laughs> <laughs> and like got up and spoke in Korean. Like I would shit my pants. Oh, yeah. Right. And like they get up and do that all the time. And it's, it's, it's remarkable. And, and they're playing thousands of miles from home. And it's like, it, I don't know. It just puts it in perspective for me when like, you, you know, you hear some of these spoiled PGA tour players that are like, Oh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to travel to, Hawaii even to go play in an event and it's like well, all right man well you know what like these ladies are playing eight to ten to twelve you know global events a year and, and and traveling a lot less luxuriously than you are yeah I the only other thing Tron I was gonna say and I'd be curious for the group's reaction I think on the women's side uh, there's a wider variety in the type of golf that is played I I, I think yes. on you know in, in men's golf it's almost like if you're not hitting it 
a certain amount of yards, uh, you can't play on tour. And and on the women's side, of course, distance is an advantage and, and it's at a premium. But, you know, you have people like Dana Finkelstein who I, I am so impressed with her because I'm not sure she carries her driver more than like 225, 230. And you just see a lot more variety in how women go about it. And, and I think that's cool. Totally. I think something else, too, I'd like to see more depth on the LPGA Tour. It, it, it kind of falls off a little bit. And there's some rising talent, like Allison Corpus played really well last year. Lilia Vu, um, you know, there's like, I, like, I'd like to see more Megan Kangs mm-hmm. out there, right? That are, that are, they haven't won a major yet. They haven't, you know, finished top 10 in the world, but they're, like, you know, Megan Kang, Marina Alex, they're consistent. They're they're constantly making cuts. Like, their floor is higher, whereas I feel like there's a lot of players out there that they're, like, the next big thing, but they're, they're wildly, wildly inconsistent. Yeah, Maria Fossey <laughs> and Van Dam. <laughs> yeah, there seem to be oh, a, a lot of those. Bianca Pogdanonen, another one we love. I mean, all the talent, but, you know, the c- consistency is lacking. And damn it, I want to see the Jutanagarn sisters step back up yeah. yeah i couldn't believe that they were outside the top 50 that neither it's one crazy. of them that like doesn't doesn't seem possible to me <laughs> i know i know uh well we're deep into this but guys i i asked you for some predictions so i i think we end here uh who would like to lead with i well jen you mentioned one of yours so why don't we start there why don't you re- reiterate what one of your bold predictions is I think, and not to brag, but the last time when I said that there was going to be a crowning for Leona McGuire at the Solheim, I was correct. And I think the same thing is going to be happening for the two Swedes, uh, Lynn Grant and Maya Stark. You know, they've been, the fact that I even know their name and they haven't played in this country yet is wild, you know? Um, so I think that it's going to be a big year for them and a big, you know, big Solheim for them. They're currently one and two um on the you know on the Solheim ranking so no reason to think they're gonna choke now but we'll see Lynn Grant finished 56th in the in the race the CME last year and she played six events <laughs> yeah and, and again none on American soil it's, Outrageous. it's crazy yeah uh yeah uh who's that Cody why don't you give us one of your bold predictions I think that Andrea Lee is going to win a major in 2023 I love that I like that she just a little background. I, uh, a product of Stanford, uh, very decorated junior career, struggled a bit to find footing on the Epson tour. Finally broke through with a big year, earned her LPGA card, won on the LPGA tour, and you're right, just seems poised to to really keep the momentum going. TC, hit us with one of yours. I'm gonna say Europe uh, wins the Solheim Cup once again. That's not bold. That's like a sure <laughs> thing. Outdoors and and it's more interesting than than the Ryder Cup once again. And they're they're buoyed by the strong play of Lynn Grant. I'll piggyback that because one of mine TC was Europe wins the Solheim Cup by at least six points, so 17 well, yeah. to 11 or larger. See, I don't know if I want that to happen, though, because as much, you know, I, I do love the the U.S. team. You know, Megan Kang, Marina Alex being two of, like, our absolute faves, you know. Um, I just, I don't know. <laughs> no, I know. I'm, I'm with you. I want to you. be closer. I want to be closer, at least. I feel like Marina needs to make a Solheim Cup team, right? She the, So she was injured for the last one, but then she was on for 2019, was it? 
2018. So, yeah, and then I think that, you know, post-injury, she's been playing amazing, and I think that it's going to be a big year for her. I would love to see her get a major this she's year. She's a perfect person for that, too. Like, yeah. team, yeah. team yeah. player. Yeah, because she's fun, you know? She's yeah. fun. She's awesome. engaging. She's not afraid to say things, too, which is obviously one of my favorite things about her, you know? She has an issue yeah. with a course or a player, you know? She'll say it. Hell, yeah. And we need more of that. She posted something on or just her swing on Instagram. I mean, she posts her swing on Instagram every day, but like the the stillness of her head through through impact. Mm -hmm. It's like I'm like taking it's I have like a picture of that. Like every time I practice now, I'm like replicate this. Yeah. It's crazy. I was going to say if you, if you're like looking for inspiration for your golf swing, just go to an LPGA event and sit on the range and just watch everybody swing. Like you'll you'll come away with better tempo, I think, just through osmosis. Uh, we'll go boomerang on the predictions. My next one, total homer. She's one of my favorite people. We've we've done a lot with her. Madeline Sackstrom wins Pebble Beach. Wow. Ooh. I uh, I was gonna do one that's that's a little bit I'd like to see more out of Leona McGuire. Like to see her kind of convert some of this, you know, Solheim Cup magic into into more individual success. Uh, but another European Ryder Cup uh, star. I think Matilda Castron has a big year. I think she wins at least twice on the LPGA Tour. Product of Florida State had a had a breakout at the Solheim. Uh, I'd say a mini breakout at at Inverness TC. I I like her game. Struggled a little bit last year. Was 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 disappointing. So she plays a lot. I know she played 20, 25 events. Yeah, I'm with you. Would so. would be great if she kind of flips the switch and and turns it back on this year. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll also toss in that Megan Kang, our good friend, has not had a win on tour yet. And I think this has to be the year, or or there might not be a year. You know, she's been on tour for a little bit now. She is, you know, she was up there in the U.S. Women's Open past two years. Um, I mean, if it's not if it's not Madeline at the U.S. Open, I would love to see Megan Kang win the U.S. Open. Jen, I think you need to, you know, if, if wins don't come, I think you might need to get in her ass. You know, take the kid gloves off. I have. I text her all the time. Not all. I don't always get a response, but I'm like, hey, how's everything going? <laughs> also, famously took one lesson with her dad, which I need to hit him up again. Oh. Well, that's a great story too. If you want to Google <laughs> Megan Kang and just her story about her parents coming to this country and her getting into golf is is incredible. Cody, hit us with another one of yours. I think if you guys could remember back to the 2014 U.S. Women's Open held at Pinehurst Resort on the number two golf course, course. there was a young 11 year old who qualified Sorry. and ate enough ice cream to get into everybody's hearts. Her name is Lucy. Lee, she is finally here. We have the next wave of American superstars at the doorstep. Last year, she won twice on the Epson Tour. She also played in the final round of the LA Open. I don't know if you guys remember that or not. But I not only think that she is a sure thing wow. for Rookie of the Year wow. honors, I think she is going to win in wow. multiples. I think she's going to contend in majors. And this is finally the coming out party for Lucy Lee, and I'm pumped. Wow. That is a bold prediction, and I love it, Code Man. Thank you. All right, last ones. Uh, TC, why don't you hit us with, with one more? Uh, I was going to go with an Andrea Lee one. He stole <laughs> a that. A lot of different ways uh, we could go. 
I haven't shouted out Charlie Hull's outrageous Instagram <laughs> yet. It's so good. It's the best. It's always, Listen, it's just like both both of the 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 Brits, uh, Charlie uh, Hull and Hull here. Uh, I think it's going to be a fascinating watch for 2023. I think there's some maybe some new love uh, out there that's kindling on one aspect. And also the other one just continues to light social media on fire. So <laughs> I am right there with you, TC, and we're monitoring the situation. She's just so outrageous. Um, yeah, you know what? I'll I'll go with another one. I think uh, I think Celine Boutier wins a major. Like you said, so tidy, so proper. Uh, has has been around and in the hunt a lot. Would I think it'd be awesome if she broke through and won a major? Jen, hit us with your last one. Okay, this this is my pro- probably my boldest prediction, but I think that one of these rising star amateur players, one of the college girls, is going to win something big. I don't know what it's going to be, but I feel like you know the the amateur game, like the depth that we're looking for, it's there. You know, the uh, I think that a lot of these rising rising stars are uh, are coming in hot. You know, and once they graduate, they're they're going to be unstoppable. Who's it going to be? Is it going to be Rose? Is it going to be Rachel Weirdly, Heck? Mega? Okay. Mega I have a real spot, soft spot for Jensen Castle. And I, I don't know okay. why, but I have a good feeling about her. It might have been because I watched her eat an ice cream cone at the Curtis Cup. And I thought that was really impressive. She was just, <laughs> she sat down when she was waiting for people to hit. She sat down and her caddy handed her like one of those cone things, like crunch cone or something. And I was like, this girl's going places. <laughs> You asked not, for bold. Not, I feel like none of our predictions have been bold, you know? I feel not like... the direction I thought you were going to go between Rose and <laughs> she, she Rachel. Sat down I mean, and yeah. ate an yeah. ice cream cone. We, yeah. we could have went and said, hey, but, you know, we're waiting on another page here that's going to light this whole thing up in a couple of years. Uh, uh, and now entering your second year at, at the Arizona State University, the Summer Hayes name is going to be back on the top of a professional leaderboard here in a couple of years, but not their time yet. All these college youngsters <laughs> stay down. It's really? okay. We don't need them yet. Mm, I don't know. I don't What's know. What's Rose's deal? Is she is she like at Stanford for the duration? Uh, and she's just gonna do NIL stuff and well come out as like the most well prepared <laughs> like rookie ever. So Rachel Heck, I'm gonna answer your question by first saying Rachel Heck has been on record since the beginning of her career that she's four years at Stanford. I don't think Rose has made that same public commitment, but I do know she does have some NIL deals, so it's not like she's, you know, she's doing pretty well for herself at Stanford. It's a pretty comfortable environment. A uh, racial as well. I, I mean, everybody we documented in during the week of the life, but uh, you know, she was in the bucket with the uh, on an ROTC ROTC scholarship there underneath the the Air Force wing that covers Stanford. And then shortly after that, she was actually uh, removed from that. Now she's back in it as well. So whatever her, you know, she basically has until day one of her senior year of college to make this decision. And if she continues down this ROTC path that she's chosen up to, up until this point, after that day one, she will have to go uh, serve. It's not like a, we're not talking about like, you know, conscription here or anything else like that, but she would have to complete basic training and then her advanced training at some point in time, which potentially could delay her coming on to the professional scene. So um, that to keep in mind as well. 
Let's see. I can give one more bold prediction. I kind of hinted at this, but I think one name that maybe isn't that well known, at least stateside, that I think we'll we'll really know her name by the end of the year. Pia Babnik is is somebody I think to keep an eye on. She's Slovenian. Um, she's 19 years old. She's 5'11". Just a, a fantastic golf swing. Great game. She she won twice last year on the LET. Uh, she finished third at the Chevron Championship. She is just on a path that looks to be trending in a in a really good direction. So she's somebody that you know as as we talk about a Lynn Grant or uh, Cody. To your point, Andrea Lee, who's another one of these players that could really force their way into you know week to week conversation. I think Pia Babnik, somebody we need to keep an eye on in 2023. I think that brings it to me in the final bold prediction. And unfortunately, I, I'm going to have to bring it here. By the end of this year, either the entirety of the uh, LET, the Ladies European Tour, will be presented by Aramco. And in order to counteract that because of the inflation of purses that you're going to see on the LET and more American or traditionally LPGA-based players going to play a full schedule based off of those events, there will be some sort of deal with the LPGA Tour. Um, I think you'll see it start out with maybe uh, new tournament sponsorships or new venues that we see the LET taking uh, with Trump-aligned golf courses and properties. But overall, I would not be surprised that by the end of the year, uh, Aramco, and not an out-front new startup league, but Aramco because they've, they've pretty much figured out that they can do this, they can insert them into the women's game, and nobody really jumps up and down about it. We'll use that tactic instead of creating a new live golf separate league version of this. I wish I could disagree with Stark. you. Stark. Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 going to be an ongoing story uh, throughout the year, and we'll react to it when it happens. Um, but, guys, on that note, well, I, one more yeah, question go for ahead, you guys. Because we've gone through this entire thing. We have not mentioned Danielle Kang. <laughs> I can't believe I forgot. I didn't forget, really. But Are you buying? Are you selling? Like, I'm she buying. won twice last year. And and she had that, the, honestly, yeah. that second place finish after she had come back, um, you know, from taking some time off due to health issues, uh, when she came in second and she was crying, I was crying, you know, so she still got it. And I think she'll always, she's a true competitor. I think that you can never really count her out. I think that's right. I, I really like Danielle. I, I always love running into her. She always says hi. Um, she will have a new caddy this year, which I think is, is something to keep an eye on. Um, I, I'm buying too. She's somebody that's just always around. I think she maximizes her talent. I affectionately refer to as to her as the mud hen because she wins a lot in and around Toledo, Ohio. She's kind of a forgotten American woman, but I, you know, results wise, like she's right there with kind of Alexi yeah. or uh, anybody else really. And she's thirty. I don't, I don't think that's to be. Feels like the prime on a lot of these ladies is, is, is you know, skews younger. Yeah. 30 is, 30 in the men's game feels right in the midst of your prime. 30 in the women's game feels a little bit later. 
right? Mm-hmm. So, anyway, I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's. Uh, I, I'm selling. I've, I'm liquidating all wow. stock. That that's not the proper, you know, the the popular take here by any means. But I think uh, if you want to talk about like somebody's floor and where their ceilings actually at, I, I just don't know if she can continue to dig it out. She clearly shows that she has the worth work ethic to do that. Uh, but I don't know about week in and week out. And there's you know, when you when I, I've only been in this LPGA world for a little bit, and it seems like there's always something going on with Danielle. And I don't know okay. how much of that's true or, or just speculation or anything else like that. But it's very, very weird that it seems to constantly result like just be the center of gravity around a certain, uh, you know, group of players. So I'm getting a little bit of Jason Day. Yes. Ooh. It's good. Ouch. You know, it's big. I don't know how we made it as far in as we did. Phenomenal recall on the Danielle Kang piece, though. Um, and there's so many other. I mean, the talent is is very, very deep. It's just one of those things where I think with uh, a little bit more assists, as KPMG came up to add in, in the analytics side of it, that we can properly analyze all this stuff that's what's going on. I hope to see, you know, television and more, maybe more access to watching these women play uh, come up this year. But, but ultimately, if there's one real thing that I wish the LPGA Tour could like be consistent on is like putting the news where the news goes on their website, figuring out if they're going to use glamour shots or action shots on player profiles and like just make it like maybe a little bit easier on the rest of us because just trying to do research for this, I like everything that I read was just from Beth Ann and that's it. So as we step up and say, Hey, we're here, we're going to do a lot more LPGA coverage. I think there's a lot of other people. Hopefully we'll join this in, in this endeavor. Beth Ann Nichols golf week. She's, she's ah. the goat. She's the best. We'll have her on. Uh, but yeah, if, if you're, if you're looking for analysis and news start there, Cody, uh, to, to your point, the LPGA hopefully will, will work on the website. That's been a frustration for me. Uh, but I can't thank you guys enough for joining me. I, I hope, uh, the enthusiasm has, is infectious. If you've lasted this long with us, uh, <laughs> Either you're a diehard already and we're preaching to the choir, or if not, uh, perhaps you're, you're interested and, and we'll start to give more attention to the women's game. I, I, I really don't think you'll be disappointed. I think you'll find it um, a, a, a worthwhile endeavor. And um, on the NLU side, I just want to note, because of the weirdness in the LPGA schedule that they're playing this week and then they don't really play until mid-February, our next you know, dedicated LPGA podcast will be in February and then we'll get into a more consistent rhythm as their schedule gets into a more consistent rhythm. So look out for our, our Thursday podcast. Definitely check out our Friday live shows. Cody, Jen, Tron, thank you guys so much for your, your research and your insights. And I, I look forward to doing much more of this with all of you. Thank you. Thanks, Biggie. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. 
expect anything different.